This podcast is brought to you by JList.com. Well, right now on JList.com and all around the world, Halloween is almost here, and you know what that means. Tons of yummy snacks and treats and pumpkin beer for the for the basic of us. And um, on JList.com, they're stocking tons of Halloween-themed Japanese snacks. They have things like Pokemon holiday uh, rice cracker packs, Kit Kats that are that are themed as from Halloween, Chupa Chups, Halloween tongue painter lollipops, Pepsi limited edition Halloween cola, and a ton of other interesting things over, over at JList.com. So don't miss out on this one time a year activity. Head over there and fill up your your uh, your pockets and your your friends' treat bags with lots of Japan's take on what Halloween is. And now. It's time to start the podcast. All right. So question, guys. I have a question, actually. Why the hell did you pass the show? I'm going to preempt your question with a question. (laughs) Yes. I watched watched at least three episodes of this. At least. And I thought, what the hell? How did the hell did this pass? You had it as a four on the document. And I'm like, what in the hell had you? What were you, you know, like, guys? What, wait a second. I hope that you were having an amazing st- altered state of mind yeah. experience on like on like mescaline <laughs> or something crazy, like t- cactus nectar or some like butterfly dust to, for you to watch <laughs> this. And go, That's a four. You are listening to the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. Make your anime addiction worse at aaapodcast.com. And now, here are your anime addicts. Hey everyone, and welcome to the 391st episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Chiaki, and I am joined on either side by some dudes. It's a Chiaki sandwich. She is flanked by masculinity. I am. Toxic masculinity, some might say. (laughs) (laughs) Some might agree. Uh, (laughs) Of course, the person who's very woke to that Mm. toxic masculinity would be... Kazuo. Yeah. Is he the woke one? Very much so. Me it's to keep it's between all the two a lie. Of you. Nothing is real. It's all a social construct. <laughs> I don't know what that even means, honestly. <laughs> that, dude, my, and, dude. And, and that's that's why get, you're not the woke one. You got to get okay. on my level. You need to up your wokeness. Mmm. <laughs> And the non-woke one is Mitsugi. I'm the swoke one because I'm all like jacked he's out. The swoke. <laughs> Welcome the? to the podcast, everybody. I'm always here. You know me. You, you, I'm the guy you love to hate. I'm Mitsugi. And we are all dedicated to one thing: making, making your, your anime, anime addiction, addiction worse. worse. We Boom. are so freaking good. And right. We are in there. simpatico. It's, it's almost like we've done this a few times. Just once or twice. Well, after 391 times of doing that, you would you would think we could do it. Barely. <laughs> Barely. If you want to make your addiction worse by getting even more episodes, like if you want to ad- get if you want to get swoke. But like eight additional podcast episodes a month, you can go to aaapodcast.com forward slash join to create an account and get access to hentai episodes, hobby addicts, after parties, oh, and support the podcast. If you want to make sure this podcast continues to exist and make me feel happy. If you want to feed my children. That's a good one. Then, yeah. <laughs> By children, you mean cat children? Yes, my, well, or the many, many illegitimate children I have Your all around the world. Your cat is needy. 
Oh, there you that go. Cat ne- ha- that, that cat is needier than any animal I've ever seen. I know. People think I'm joking. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> and don't forget to join the coolest corner of the internet. We're at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash AAA podcast. The only group that matters on Facebook anymore as declared by the AAA podcast. It's true. And it's very We've been true. having a lot of fun over there. We've been doing a lot of uh, mm-hmm. anime watch parties pretty much every night. I love I love seeing, I love seeing, I'm such a lurker. I mean, mm-hmm. I say that every time, but I'm such a lurker in that group. Like I just like, I follow all the threads and then every now and then I get like really emotional. Like the other, the other, one of the few times that I got like super emotional, I actually had Enzo text me and oh, was God. like, dude, I'm right there with you. The number continues to climb. We are now, as of this episode's recording at 1774 members continues not quite at the actual podcast page yet, which is almost at 3000, but mm-hmm. 774 we'll people just like you, they want, they want to know you. Biblically. 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 They want to know Biblically? You. Okay. Um, Biblically. T- on today's episode, we are starting a new series. It's one that I have consumed and that I am, or I have consumed. I have conceived. Okay. That's the word. And that I am going to kind of be driving. <laughs> Mitsuki's like, hooray, Jackie did some work. Yay. <laughs> um, and I'm going to kind of be leading you know, the push for and trying to do like one of these a month. And I call them deep dives. And it's basically really looking in, like drilling down into something that is drill down that is commonly accepted (laughs) in anime. And so this topic is what makes Miyazaki so good? And the answer is beautiful pain. And we'll get to what that means later. Beautiful pain. I did not Um, think I did not see us going there. (laughs) Wow. That's uh, sounds like a like an emo band song. Oh, um, and then we have a review on something that is not so good, but definitely painful. And that's Love Tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> love Tyrant. I, I, you know what? I just can't. All right. But first, it's time for this week's Big Bang. Yeah. All right. So. March comes in like a lion. Yes. I, I, this was not going to be the Big Bang, but I changed it. So March comes in like... All right. So people may not know this, mm. but because Japan is like a really peaceful country. But this point that I'm about to make makes a lot of sense for Japan. Japan has a big time bullying problem in schools. Mm. And the reason for that is Japan's society is very conformist. It's like the opposite of the U.S. You know, the U.S. is very like... You know, we try to be as diverse as we can be. You know, we're trying, we're, we're, there's like, I feel like every day is like a struggle to get to diversity in the U.S. Yeah. Whereas Japan Japan is all about fitting in and not causing waves. Correct. That kind of thing. Japan is exactly that. Mm -hmm. And so when there is somebody who is a little different in some, for, in any way, really, if, if, if they're, if they're a kid in school, they will get made fun of. Maybe. It doesn't, of course, I can't say it always happens, but it's, it's a lot different. I feel like if you look at a U.S. public school, there's lots of people that are different you know, different country, different ethnicities, different clothing, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but in Japan, that's not the case. And because if, because these people stand out a lot, they tend to get bullied. And in Japan, MEXT, which is a, which is part of the Japanese ministry. It's the ministry of education, culture, sports, science, and technology is collaborating. That's a lot. It's a lot of things. You would think they need to like separate that into a, a couple groups. Um, they, which is weird because they have the ministry of education. I know that. And I feel like whatever, it's confusing. And the ministry of magic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The ma'am. 
well, the mom. It's Harry Potter. Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, okay. So they are collaborating with with March comes in like a lion to fight bullying in public schools. And this is sort of like a feel by good releasing story. lions into public schools. Yes. They won't have time to bully. Yeah, they'll, they'll be, be too busy running their ass <laughs> off. So they're going to distribute 18,000 posters around junior high schools, uh, elementary schools, high schools, et cetera, and even colleges to that are going to try to discourage bullying. And there, there's a poster that features Hinata from March Comes in Like a Lion who's trying to comfort Ray. I guess I haven't seen March Comes in Like a Lion, but I'm guessing these are two characters. Um so Hinata is trying to comfort this other character, even though she herself is bullied in the story. And it features a message that says, I will be your friend through it all. It has a phone number for Mext's 24-hour child um, SOS hotline. So That's good. That's good. I mean, I mean, I don't know how uh, successful it's going to be at, at deterring bullying because, I mean, I feel like, I, I, I don't know, those kind of like public service announcements don't really... Yeah. have much of an impact on people that are like, uh, it doesn't have much of an impact on assholes. Like they're going to be yeah. assholes either way. But I, I do like that. They're at least creating something for the kids who may be bullied to, they're trying to do something. Yeah. Like Japan isn't known for taking care of people with social and psychological issues. So it's nice that they're doing something. Yeah. yeah. It's just, they're trying to do, they're trying to do something. And so I, it was kind of a feel good story that I thought a feel good story about a bad topic one of the worst topics, like bullying, is pretty awful and unnecessary. Well, so. and I feel like I feel like even more, you know, not to sound like a Sunday special, but I do, I do think bullying becomes even easier in the age of you know the internet and social media and whatnot. And yeah. and I think, you know, I I think we all got a little bit of that growing up. No, like, no one ever bullied me. Not once. No, not once True. in my entire life. You you are the coolest person <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but no, I like, but I mean, I mean, internet bullying and whatnot. And, and I think back then it was a lot more anonymous in the sense of you'd post something in a forum and trolls be trolls. Mm. But I think, you know, as time goes on, you see a lot more of it coming into play where it's actually people kind of that, you know, in like the school and whatnot, but yeah. And there's a lot more, um, I feel like the bullying nowadays is a lot more subtle than it used to be. Like back yeah. in the day when you know, when we were kids, um, like you would have to confront a person face to face and there would, there would be like some kind of like physical, there was, I feel like bullying was a lot more physical. And nowadays it's like, um, it, a lot of it's, it's, it's more, um, I don't know, I guess subtle is the word for it. Like where you just kind of like poke at people like online you know, which is even worse in some ways. Yeah. Like back in the day, at least God like is cowardly. Yeah. Like when I was being bullied in school, it was like face to face. And if there was an issue, like yep. we would go outside and yeah. like settle it. Nowadays, nobody does that. You're, you're going to get sued or some crap like that. So people just kind of. Yep. We're thrown, out of, we're thrown out of school. Yeah. Which is even more pathetic, which is why cyberbullying. Cyber if you cyberbully people, you are just like, which is wow. why we need to have underground fighting rings in schools, but have them sanctioned. Okay. So if there's kids, all right, this is a bad idea. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> now we are going to walk away from the hunger games. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of interesting ideas on that, but maybe it's not, then not appropriate, but prepare for trouble. Oh yeah. So Chucky's like, get on with it. <laughs> prepare for trouble. Make it double. Shut, Shut up. up. You haven't, you haven't had one useful thing to say since, since you got here. I really just want to see Vegeta like laying the smack down on Team Rocket. Kakarot. It's not over till the fish jumps. So Look. here is a... It's another yeah. Dragon Ball. 
I got it. I, I know what you're talking about. So this isn't this is a current event that we're gonna mention right now, and people probably don't know what we're talking about. So we'll give some backstory. Japan has a Japan is a very political country, just like most governments, but especially because in Japan the prime minister always has traditionally changed like every year and right now Abe is actually sort of at, at an almost unprecedented length of his reign as prime minister because prior to him I think they went through like four or five prime ministers in like 10 years which is crazy well I think I think too something to understand for for those for those of our listeners in the states specifically um, Japan's political system mirrors in many ways that of England's and they have a parliamentary political system. And so members of the house of representatives elect a prime minister from among themselves via a majority vote. So because of that, um, the, the people don't necessarily have a direct say in who the prime minister is. And now granted there's the argument of the people vote on the representatives that ultimately get worked their way into parliament and, you know, the, they're still representing the people. And so the goal would be for them to vote in the people, their constituents interest. So but, it's basically like a different form of a representative democracy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in this, and in this form, it, it's interesting because when I was in Japan, I actually talked with, with a bunch of other, you know, Japanese people about their system. And, and I found it interesting that a lot of them kind of had this almost cavalier attitude of just, Eh, whatever, when it came to who the prime minister was, yeah. because they didn't, one, as Mitsuki said, it changed and has changed a ton. And two, because they don't necessarily have that direct vote on who the prime minister is. So basically the prime minister of Japan, Abe, is holding the election for, I guess it's the, for the next prime minister. He's holding the election early. He's decided they're going to do it early. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding this. Because one, because it's not typical to do that, but two, because they feel there's there have been some scandals lately, mm-hmm. and they some people feel like he's taking advantage of a recent chain of current events that might give him an advantage in the election. So he's like, oh well, since I have since I might might as well strike while the iron's hot. So let's yeah. let's do the election early. I mean, are you really going to get mad at a politician for? Politicking, like I mean, that's what he does. Like as well, long the, the the issue is in the law. If, well, if, can you imagine in the U.S. if like. If Trump, if Trump uh, was like, oh, we're going to have the presidential election five right. months early, like that would never happen, right? So Cor- it's very odd. Right. But it's a different, it's a, it's a different, yeah, different democracy. Yes. So it's the, the issue is in the law itself. Like if yeah. the law allows for it, well, then that's a problem. You should probably get that fixed. So, so let's so let's start with the with the scan. One of the scandals here. So, so Abe's wife, Akie Abe, is involved with a kindergarten in Japan called Tsukumoto Kindergarten that is like ultra conservative and teaches a lot of the principles and teaches in a lot of the styles that was done like a hundred years ago. So it's very like nationalistic children march in in lines to military music. They're taught like in the style that they would have been taught in like, you know, in the, in the, in the mid to early 1900s or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, they also have been at the center of of a political scandal because the school has been accused of promoting bigotry against other Asian nations, including Chinese and Koreans. Um, and of receiving illicit financial favors from the government. Oh. So, um, and this has put, this has caused an outcry to put um, the the very conservative administration that Abe runs mm-hmm. um, on the defensive because it's showing the darker side of like, of like the right wing movement. 
in I feel Japan. Like, I feel like conservatism in Japan would be different than conservatism in the States. Like, maybe not like fiscally, but socially. You know, like, because a lot of the state's conservatism is based on Christian values, make, whereas Japan obviously is not a Christian country. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Japan is very conservative. Um, Brandon, very. Brandon in the chat asked, doesn't Abe want to give Japan an army again? I feel like I read that somewhere yeah. just to answer that question. Yeah, we're getting yes, to that. But it's an, it's he, an army of prepubescent children and they are all they in giant any, robots. They, have, they don't have any of those. No prepubescent There's children. no children in Japan. <laughs> no, we're getting to that. So that's a scandal that has been dogging the the current administration for a while. Now, they feel like Abe is trying to seize um, on current events in an attempt to be reelected. So he's trying to call the election early. One, they his announcement to have the election early came right after a woman named uh, Yuriko Koike, who is the governor of Tokyo. And who, one of the first female governors in yeah. Japan. Yes. That, that I, is that true? Yes. Okay. So I she, she is forming a new, a very, a new national party that is um, gaining a oh, lot. Oh, I'm of, sorry. The first female governor of Tokyo. Okay. So just to fact check myself, she's very popular, and she's she's starting a new political party that apparently is very popular and is gaining a lot of momentum in All Japan. Right. And um, so he is trying to like have the election right now before I think more and more momentum is yeah. gained there. Well, and of course, because the prime minister is elected by the representatives, ultimately the party with the most control generally decides the prime minister. Right. So if you have the majority of parliament, you probably can decide who the prime minister is because everyone in a party will ultimately yeah. support a single candidate. Also, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. There's a couple more points. Also, um, Japan is terrified about North Korea. Well, and, yeah, as it should be. And Abe has a very specific stance on North Korea, which is, well, we're going to strengthen the military and take action against North Korea rather than just sit around and wait for something to happen. Yeah. So tensions about North Korea are putting things in his favor. Also, the economy of Japan is growing more quickly than they thought, which makes him look good. And so I mean, he that wants, is good. I it mean, is that well? Yeah, I mean, it's know, undeniable. I, so for one, he certainly should not have the power to alter the election cycle. Like that's the fact that they that that's legal under their constitution is like is troublesome. It makes little sense. Yeah, I don't because like in the, in the states, like uh, the elections are run by a, a nonpartisan uh, organization. So, and I mean, I guess you know Japan does their own thing, but also if if what he's doing currently as a leader is benefiting the country. I mean, I, so for one, he shouldn't have the ability to alter that, but if he's doing good things for the country, like, I mean, Hey, keep doing your thing. Like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation. Well, according, according to the New York times, which uh, I just posted a link to that in the chat, specifically their Asia Pacific reporting, and I'm just going to quote, polls show that close to two thirds of the public disapproves of Mr. Abe's accelerated timeline, given that he is not legally required to call an election until December 2018. OK, so but I, I think what's interesting there is legally required, mm -hmm. not necessarily the, the requirement is that he has to do it by December 2018. But it's not it sounds to me that reads that he has flexibility as to when actually happens in there the, the whole um, idea of having one person in charge is so stupid like when you really think about it it's like why like absolute it, power it, corrupts absolutely like, yeah maybe it worked when we were just like tribes or when it was like you know there was a few thousand people living in a country but like when there's hundreds of millions of people like are you really gonna have one dude calling the shots like that's kind of ridiculous so he wants to call the election early to so that he can 
re- revise Japan's um, pacifist constitution. Mm-hmm. And this has been a topic for a while. Yeah. Even when we were living in Japan, we were we were having discussions with people about how Japan wants to revise its military, and a lot and a lot of people don't want that. And there are people that want it, but there are also people that don't want it, and they like the peaceful Japan that they live in. And yeah. um, and so it's a huge point of controversy. And because this is an anime podcast, and we talk about Japan sometimes, mm-hmm. this seems very um, a very relevant topic. It is, and I think people a lot of people like those kind of topics. Um, yeah, it is a complicated situation because it's. I can certainly understand Japan wanting to further their own independence as far as their military is concerned and being more self-sustaining and capable of taking care of themselves. Um, but at the same time, I, they, they don't have a good run when it comes to <laughs> military action. Like they've made some serious mistakes and, and errors in judgment in the past. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a complicated situation though. For it, sure. is, it is very complicated. And when you say that he's not legally required to hold an election until December, like that's more than a year from now. It yeah, is, it's December like, of 2018. It's not yeah. like this is a month early. This is a, a year, year and, a and a couple months early. So, though interestingly enough, um, a Kyoto news poll found that voters, and again, I'm quoting from the New York Times, found that voters who plan the to cast their ballot from um, fake news <laughs> found for Mr. Abe's Liberal Democrats outnumbered those who will vote for the Democratic Party by more than three to one. So the people who are even even though the majority of the country is not in support of him accelerating the timeline for the vote, mm. that doesn't seem to be dissuading people from supporting him. Like it seems it's it, to me, it sounds like people are basically like, I don't really support you, dude, in doing this. But at the same time, given the other options, yeah. my vote is still for you. Yeah, it's another one of those lesser of two evil type situations. Also, though, like um, parties are, are have 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 changed over the past I don't know, maybe 60, 70 years, like uh, pre- previous to that, like political parties were changing constantly. Like you, you would have, like, especially in the States, like you would have, uh, like the Whigs was a party that lasted. The Whigs. Yeah, the I Whigs. haven't heard that term since like, I was there, like in, there, there in were 10th a, grade. There were uh, the Federalists. There were a number of parties and it was constantly changing and, and adapting and, and developing. And for some reason over the, uh, I, I guess since the, um, I don't know what the age would be considered the past like 70 years, but like it, 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 people kind of got tied to these ideologies. And I like that this one lady, the governor of Tokyo is, is kind of branching out and and creating something and it has a movement behind it. That's, that's awesome. And that's how it should be. So, you know, if she were to be elected, it would be a big deal. I mean, it's for a country that says conservative, it'd be huge, 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 bigly. I mean, if you think we haven't even had a female (laughs) president in the U S so, for the, for Japan to have effectively a female president, yeah. well, you know, it's not a president, it's a prime minister, or whatever, but it's kind of the same thing. I don't know. Leader of the country. Leader of the country. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything deal. about her, so she might be a complete psychopath. But I mean, it'd be interesting. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't even know what she looks like. Oh, there, there she is. She looks like an old lady. I mean, but still, that's what you expect from a politician. I think yeah. an older looking person. So unless you're in Canada, something to keep up with in Japan news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, it would be. It would actually be remarkable if Abe oh, got reelected because that would be like. What like going on ten years of the same prime minister? I mean, are That's, there are are there term limits? Like, is there? I don't think so. Are, oh, okay. Well, there's another issue, man. You know what? They just need to fly me over. I, I, I'm gonna take care I, of the I whole political with, system. I, I don't agree with you because I feel like if they're not doing a good job, they won't be elected again. It yeah. when it becomes yes a, and no. Yeah, when par- it be- partly, but also there's there's a, there's a there's a matter of when someone's been in power and has 
and is and is well known and and very wealthy, it's incredibly difficult to get a, a new person in there. That's why term limits are kind of put into place. And also, there's there's a much higher risk of corruption if if you know that you can continue to be in office for an indefinite period of time. So from so from Wikipedia, since 1947 via term limit lengths, mm-hmm. since 1947, four years or less. So, but quote, the cabinet shall reign in mass after a general election of members of the House of Representatives. Their term of office is four years, which can be terminated earlier, but no limits are imposed on the number of terms or tenures the prime minister may hold. Yeah. So there is a limit to yeah, the they, quote they unquote term, but there's not. Every yeah. four years. But I mean, it's like, uh, it's like the Congress in the States, like there are no limits. Like it's every, you know, two years, I believe they have a vote, but people are in Congress for their entire adult lives, you know? Yeah. And, and that, I mean, and of course this is just my opinion and everybody's got different views on it, but I I feel like my opinion, at least on this is pretty evidence-based. Like a lot of times if you are a career politician and you have the option of remaining in power for an indefinite period of time, as long as your popularity remains, then I feel like that can cause a lot of issues with potential corruption. So I, 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 I don't know. But again, this is just my opinion. So take that for what it is. Okay. Should we move on? We shall. Yes. That was an interesting discussion. All right. So this is a new segment that I'm trying out and let me know if you guys like it, but I'm calling it anime tea time. And basically I am connecting anime and tea so you can have the perfect tea time with your favorite anime. So for this, where's my tea? It's called, um, pumpkin beer tea in the form of beer. Um, ah, yes, indeed. The tea, you must have a cup of tea. So, (laughs) For those of you who don't know, I love tea. I'm absolutely obsessed with tea, and I can't go a day without drinking a cup of tea. I believe we have a tea commercial, even. We might. Where you where you confess your 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 obsessiveness? It it's probably it's true. true. It is. But so this week, each one each time I'm going to do these segments, I'm going to pick an anime, and I'm going to pick a tea time menu inspired by that anime, and challenge you guys to have a very lovely tea time with you and your favorite anime at some point. So this week I've picked Kiki's Delivery Service. And if you guys have an anime that you want to challenge me to make a tea time for, um, let me know. You can tweet at aaapodcast.com, which Mitsugi usually runs, but he'll pass it on. AA podcast. Oh yeah. Not, at, dot com. not dot com. Sorry. Just the at aaapodcast.com slash, <laughs> slash join. <laughs> Check it out. Um, so this week's anime is Kiki's Delivery Service to kind of go with our main topic on what makes Miyazaki so great. So when I think of Kiki, I think of like her bright red bow and her flowing dress and that's black in the bakery shop that she works at. And the cat. And the cat, of course, and Gigi. Um, And one of the most iconic things, of course, that I think of with Kiki is the bakery um, and the bread that the bakery matron makes for her. So, like, you guys know the one I'm talking about, right? It's the braided circle where Kiki is in the middle and there are some roses at the bottom and she makes it to, like, advertise that, you know, 
a witch delivery service mm. is there at the bakery. Um, and so I want to channel all of that for our tea and snacks for our Kiki's delivery service tea time. So for the tea, I would pick a simple black tea. Um, you can go with any variety that you personally like. So you can go, you know, Earl Grey or you can go an English breakfast. But I actually pick English afternoon tea because I find that it's a very mild black tea and it's not, you know, too... It's not too strong or anything like that. Um, brew one teaspoon of your loose leaf tea. And whenever you brew, I always recommend loose leaf and have a steeper where the tea leaves can move and dance in it because oh, that's shit. That's okay. the most I ideal. I was like, this is, this is some highbrow shit right here. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had tea. In your life? In my, You've not, never had a cup of tea not like Not like legit tea. Like I've had that Lipton stuff that you put the powder oh, and you I stir it like up I with the water. Oh, I feel like I should make tea for you. Wow. <laughs> um, or you can get a what's called a I, teaspoon <laughs> and not like teaspoon, teaspoon like in the drawer, but like it it's actually looks like a spoon, but it has a basically like a cage and oh. you can scoop in the loose leaf tea. Okay. And... It closes up, and then you can put that in the water and stir it around. Ka- so, Kazu and I are going to have to go on a bro date. I'm, I'm we're going to go to so Oxford much. Exchange, or we're going to go, <laughs> or we're going to go to downtown St. Pete to that like tea to that tea place. I need, and have I need like to a, be like classed up a bit. I need a bit of culture. Tea, come, tea come, can be good. Come over. I'll have we'll have tea time. I'll okay. make this. So, one tea, tablespoon of tea with about two thirds ish of a tablespoon of dried rose petals, and you can acquire what? them off of Amazon or wash and dry your own. Um, and basically what this makes is it will make a nice rose black tea. So we get that red of the Kiki bow in the roses, the roses from the bread and the black from Kiki's dress. You should straight up um, with that kind of a design. You should straight up start a tea shop in Japan. <laughs> what are you doing? So right? this you, is your calling. You want to make sure you heat the water to 195 degrees Fahrenheit, which is if you don't have a kettle that has a temperature or a candy thermometer or meat thermometer that you want to check the temperature with it is when the little bubbles begin to form on the bottom of the pan or kettle and then free themselves that's about at 195 so a rolling boil you're into like the 205 210 degrees but like the 195 is right when you start to see those little bubbles this is so specific well i mean it makes sense you know what you know what water looks like before it boils Uh, yeah i guess but the important thing about the temperature is that if you get it the water too hot, it will burn the leaves and your tea will have that very dark, bitter taste that a lot of people associate with black tea as being um, unpleasant to drink. Mm-hmm. Or if it's too cold, it won't steep fully and you won't really end up with any flavor. Um, so 195 degrees Fahrenheit, steep in the teapot or vessel or with your teaspoon for about three minutes. And because it's a black tea, I recommend adding cream or sugar to taste. Um, I actually have a, I have special sugars that I use in my tea and I actually have a rose cognac sugar that is would be fantastic for this. Um, now for the snack, we'll make rose scones. So we're gonna use some of that oh, rose God, petal that you used. And again, scones because it is a bread shop. And so that kind of makes sense. I don't think I've ever put this much thought into anything I've ever done <laughs> in my life. So for our rose scones, you wanna take two cups, and I'm sorry for those of you who are on the metric system, this is all an imperial. Um, you wanna take two cups flour, two teaspoons baking powder, 
a half teaspoon of baking soda, just shy of about one teaspoon of salt, and about a half a teaspoon of cinnamon, and about one-fourth of a cup of sugar, super fine if possible. If you just have regular, you can always put it through a food processor or just say screw it. Um, And then two tablespoons of the rose petals you use for the tea. You mix all your dry ingredients together. Right? Or you just crack (laughs) open a beer, (laughs) sit on the couch and watch anime. That's my tea time. Don't discourage her. She's doing well. I'm sorry. You're right. No, this is incredible. Then beat in one cup of chilled heavy cream and two tablespoons of the tea you brewed. Chilled as well, but not by ice because the ice will dilute the flavor. (laughs) What? So you want want to have, put tea aside, put it in the fridge and cool it down in the fridge or freezer rather than cooling it over ice because the ice will dilute it. Um, Then after you've mixed in that, you'll finish mixing your wet ingredients by mixing in about one fourth cup of chilled unsalted butter and the reason why I keep saying chilled is that for those of you who don't know this with baking it actually very much makes a difference what condition your fats are in especially when you're making breads or pastry because chilled butter actually you'll get kind of those clumps of butter and that actually adds to the flakiness that you see in a proper scone so it's actually okay if the butter isn't a hundred percent incorporated but you want it to get it to that like 90 percent where there's not huge chunks of butter and then you can shape them into little cat shapes for a Gigi. All right, all right you what, got me. Why are you um, not in Japan like doing this? <laughs> right? And you'll bake at 100, 425 degrees Fahrenheit into, or until golden brown. If you want, you can make a simple icing out of powdered sugar and some remaining cream or add some mashed raspberries to the mixture if you want to add more of that red um, to kind of inspire that for extra color and flavor. Or um, you could get even, even more, you know, if you're even more adventurous and you want to go full on Gigi, you can do um, a little bit of powdered sugar, a little bit of cream until you kind of get it into a spreadable icing, add a little bit of food coloring and, you know, really go kind of black cat. I feel with like this. you my, could. Oh, good. I was gonna say my tea time would be you get the tub of the Lipton powder, you scoop it out, <laughs> oh, you put it in there, you mix it with some water, throw Gross. a few ice cubes, open a hostess package. She, she already told you no ice. Oh, well. Did you listen? You don't listen. No, no. I'm just saying this is my per- this is how I would do it. Well, my time. thought is that Chiaki should open a shop in Tokyo. 100%. And the fa- and like and your marketing publicity would be anime themed tea time. This is incredible. It would be get a person get some magazines or some newspapers to do art an article about your shop mm-hmm. and like a long blonde-haired foreigner that has a shop that oh, sells yeah. very <laughs> like very like very like immaculately crafted teas that are paired with specific sweets. That would, would be amazing. Take off like a rocket ship. The only problem is that I don't know how the hell you'd, you'd set it up because they won't give you any financing. You'd have to have. I like, would have to have a Japanese person to back me. You'd have to have like a Japanese husband or something. So if there or are like any 200. Japanese listeners willing to marry Chiaki. Well, <laughs> and I don't even know, like it would probably cost like $300,000 to even like get the place in cash started in Tokyo, I think. But well, start saving up now and you know, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. We just put all the podcast funds into that. Actually, thirty years from not, now, it's we not should. a bad idea. Though. I have I have an idea of someday opening a tea shop and calling it Books and Brews and having tea, coffee, and then after a certain point, beer. That is a great idea. Yeah. The only problem is that I think it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be as big of a hit here as it would be there because mm. like a foreigner like doing this is like boom, you'd like explode in Japan. The only problem with having a place that serves alcohol is you got to deal with a lot of sloppy people. That's true. You know, like if everybody was cool, it'd be awesome because it's like, oh, we're just chilling out, having a few brews. But then you get like the, you know, yeah. 
Weirdos. I, I feel like it would close early enough yes, that like I feel like it would close like at 11 mm-hmm. or so where it, it stays open late enough that you're like, oh, it's a late night coffee shop, mm-hmm. but closes early enough that it's like, all right, if you, you're starting to get sloppy, yeah. go find another bar. But yeah, so that is my that is my Kiki's delivery service inspired tea time. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chiaki. That was a good that was a good uh, first run. Thank you. And I hope that you guys enjoy um, tea. <laughs> I, I love tea. So, trivia. Um, this week's trivia, the answer was Nana. And the current theme is anime based on literature. Is that right? Um, the right? new theme is. The, okay, the new theme. We just Sorry. started a new theme. So, the correct answers for this last week were Chibi Rob, Ichigo Fields, Lady Greybush, Icy Rose. Definitely Link, Ichigo Fields. Link 182, uh, Forey <laughs> Stick Man, Manly Mudkip, Dick... <laughs> Dick Chocolate. Yeah. 1876, <laughs> The Grumpy Lumpfish, Kind Karen, Iridius, Q, Full Metal Alcoholist. Awesome. Golden, awesome. Golden Jedi Link, James the Reviewer, Black Shinobi, uh, Ricky Bobby, um, <laughs> Captain Avatar, and Z-Palm. The correct answer for the week? Chibi Rob. Nice work. Again. Two in a row. Didn't he? Yeah, he won last week. I and think. I do these 100% randomly. So I feel like Ichigo should have won, though. So the winner for the month was also Chibi Rob. Holy moly. Holy moly. It must be my birthday. He has selected his prize from J-List, so well done. What'd he pick? Actually. Um, I think it was a mug of some kind. Oh, okay. Actually, it's almost my actual birthday. That's true. <gasps> She's going to be five years old. Woo! And I, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. So we are going to take a news break, and when we come back, we're going to have our main topic, which is the first in my new main topic series, which is what makes Miyazaki so good. But we have an in-show trivia question for you to play along Ooh. with yourself. Hit me with it. And it is, the main protagonist of this iconic anime is transported to another world and tasked with gathering seven celestial warriors to summon the god Suzaku. Okay. That's, that could be like five different anime. The, the, the Suzaku in Seven Celestial Warriors. Yeah, yeah. I think, specific, I think I know actually. what it is, yeah. All right. See you soon. Stay tuned. Hey all you anime addicts, this is Mitsugi and it's time for your anime news. Getting us started off today, we have the new type award winners. They were announced recently and for best TV anime, the following have been awarded best TV anime, Fate Apocrypha, Bungo Stray Dog Season 2, Katsugeki Tolkien Danbu, Kemono Friends, Konosubarashi Sekai ni Shukufukuo 2, Yuri on Ice, Kakegurui, Attack on Titan Season 2, Recreators, and Isekai Shokudo. The, the awards also include Best Film, Best Male Character, Best Female Character, and also Best Voice Actors and Actresses, and other awards as well, but you'll need to go online and look up the new type awards from this last year to get the full list. Next up, we have a new, a new anime announcement. The manga, Dokuhodo Yotsuiro Biyori, is getting a TV anime. This and the 19th uh, this year's Golgo Bunch magazine made this announcement on Saturday. The synopsis of this anime that will be coming out is that four men, Gude, Sui, Tokitaka, and Tsubaki, each help run a Japanese tea shop together called 
Doku Hodo. When one visits the shop, they are greeted warmly and served tea and are often often helps help with their with their daily life problems. So this anime will be coming up in the future. It looks like a, an anime with lots of pretty boys where they drink tea. So look out for that coming up. And also we have new Tokyo Ghoul coming up. The official website for the manga Tokyo Ghoul Re has received an animated adaptation for 2018. So Tokyo Ghoul Re, the synopsis is that two years have passed since the CCG's raid on on Teiku. Although the atmosphere in Tokyo has changed drastically due to the increased influence of the CCG, to ghouls can continue to pose a problem as they have begun taking caution, especially the terrorist organization Aogiri Tree, who acknowledge the CCG's growing threat to their existence. This particular Tokyo Ghoul installment is going to be coming out in 2018, and it has been announced that Heisei Sasaki is going to be voiced by Natsuki Hanae, who also voiced Ken Kaneki from the prequel series. So for those of you that are big fans of Tokyo Ghoul, there is more coming up next year, so get excited. And next up, we have the Japan's Blu-ray DVD and regular DVD rankings for the week of September 25th until the October 1st. The top five on the list are coming out at number five, Sword Art Online, the movie, Ordinal Scale. Number four, Kubikiri Cycle, Aoiro Savant to, wow, this is a tough word, Sare Goto Tsukai, uh, followed by Senki Zesho Symphogear AXZ Volume 1, Kuroko no Basuke Last Game Special Limited Edition, and finally, number one on the list by a mile, I might add, Sword Art Online The Movie Ordinal Scales Limited Edition. So Sword Art Online continues to be dominant throughout Japan, making it one of the most popular anime properties of this decade. This was Mitsugi, and this was your anime news break. Now it's time to get back to the podcast. what happened at the bar the other day this couple walked in uh-huh and they pulled out their phone and started showing me pictures and so they had this cucumber and they put it right up whoa the- stop save it for the hentai episode oh yeah totally hey mitsugi yeah chiaki have you been keeping up with persona 5 no i fell behind actually dude the end of the game is completely insane we have to talk about it like right now well, let's do it on the hobby addicts hey you yeah you though the listener Want to know what we're talking about? Then go to aaapodcast.com slash join to get after parties, hentai episodes, and more. Yep. Almost eight extra episodes of content a month for less than a dollar an episode. Go to aaapodcast.com slash join to become a true addict. What does Kazuo think of Evangelion? I understand that End of Evangelion was a conclusion for the series, but that didn't come out till way later. That's like someone giving you a cheeseburger, but instead of like the meat, it's dog shit. And then later on, they're like, oh, here's the meat patty. Yeah, but I already ate this shit burger. <laughs> I mean, I get that the meat patty kind of like helps, but the burger is on its own. So that's kind of how I view Evangelion. It's like a dog shit burger with a meat patty that you get later. So no, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. You, you don't like eating dog shit? Not, I mean, only on Wednesdays. And we're 
we're back to the 391st episode of the Animaiotics Anonymous podcast. Wow, there really is a thesis here. Well, sort of. Well, I, I, didn't, I ran out of time. Um, For those of you that like think podcasting is so easy, <laughs> this outline is 10 typed pages. Yeah, right. It's ten pages long, typed. That's like a that's like what you would submit for a research paper for college. Well, I hope that someone could use this as a research paper for college, if they wanted to. Oh wow! Ooh. So, but first, we had the intro weekly trivia question, which was the main protagonist of this iconic anime is transported to another world and tasked with gathering seven celestial warriors to summon the god Suzaku and. You knew this one. Yes, Fushiki Yugi. Fushiki Yugi. See, I told you, it got specific. Transported to I another mean, world Up could until be... the very end of that synopsis, it was very, like, uh, there's several it, shows it, like that. Yeah, it, it narrowed. It yeah. narrowed, for sure. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so now we are we are on our main topic section, and this is a new main topic se- series, and I'm calling them Deep Dives, um, which is where Deep. I want us to look at philosophy, break down the storytelling methods, examine visuals, and just more about iconic anime. So... Serious business. Serious. So when I was actually pitching this to Mitsugi, you yeah. know, I was, I was taking shows like Cowboy Bebop and... Miyazaki, which is what we're starting with, because does ha- does it get more iconic than Hayao Miyazaki? No, not really. Not really. So maybe uh, Love Tyrant. It's pretty iconic. Yeah, Love Tyrant is pretty. God. Most people know it. I almost didn't. Um, Never mind. We'll get to that later. <laughs> but so today we are talking about what make we're doing a dip, deep dive into what makes Miyazaki so good and so good, so good. Yeah. And the answer is I got you. Da, 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 da. I got you, babe. No, it's a, so good. There you go. Okay, sorry. Woo! Oh. Jackie's like, I have no idea. What she doesn't know about. what that song is. But no, I do. I do. I'm just, I'm just waiting for us to, I'm for sorry. us to quit being annoying. Okay, got it. It's serious We're business. Just, we are now shutting up. No, no, no. Like, I want you to talk. I want you to to be a part of this. Mm. Um. But what makes Miyazaki so good? So everyone agrees that Hayao Miyazaki and his films are amazing. That nah, he is overrated. Overrated? Is that is that really your stance? No, no it's fine. No, definitely fine. not. Like, but okay. Although, could one say that? I don't know. That he's overrated. Mm. No, pretty much every Miyazaki movie is uh, basically a masterpiece. Mm. Which one isn't? Every Miyazaki movie. Which one isn't? Ponyo, probably. Ponyo, not. yeah. That's what I was thinking of, actually. It was Ponyo. Ponyo's not really. But, Ponyo but, is pretty standard. No, it's not. It's better than that. Well, I mean, by standard, I mean like it was very, it, it felt like recycled Miyazaki. You know what I mean? Like he, now this, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't, like, but, uh, but is it possible that he has like hit his peak and now it's just kind of coasting? Like, is he still as prolific? He's, like, he's, not, he's 82 or whatever. Right. Although I would say that the fundamentals to kind of my thesis of what make Miyazaki's what mm-hmm. makes Miyazaki so good, you can even find in Ponyo. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to play devil's advocate on this whole. No, no, no. Bit I, here. I'm I'm good with it. I'm right. I'm here for that. Um. So so yes. You know, basically the animation and the music is second to none. Everyone can agree that, yes. you know, the the music of Studio Ghibli films is incomparable that the animation is breathtaking still frames could be used at blown up as art pieces for you know any museum in the world Hmm. but i would argue that what makes miyazaki's films 
that I would argue that what Miyazaki's films would be amazing, even if the animation was average. And even if the music was average, that what makes them astounding and what makes them kind of transcend um, critics and anime fans and non-anime fans and, and you know, regular film crit- critics versus anime critics and whatnot alike is something more fundamental. And it's been it's been something that's been sitting with me ever since I saw um, a little snippet of like an interview or a new show or a clip or I'm not exactly 100% sure where it came from originally, but it, it's something where Miyazaki is shown animation um, that was done by some artificial intelligence. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was very not nice about it. Exactly. You can you can find this on YouTube and you can look I it up so you can you, see you it. No. It, it was, they had like, a, like an AI was, was generating a m- movement of a character or whatever and it was like kind of just really awkwardly moving because mm. it was like a first run yeah and he, and he said it was like an insult to life itself well so the full basically. the full quote the full quote for Miyazaki because I watched it and wrote it down is well every morning not in recent days but I see my friend who has a disability it's hard for him just to do a high five his arm with all his stiff muscle reaching out to, t- to touch your hand it's really unfortunate because high fives are amazing now thinking of him <laughs> I are. can't watch this stuff and find it interesting whoever creates this stuff has no idea what pain is whatsoever mm. I am utterly disgusted if you want to make creepy stuff go ahead and do it I would never wish to incorporate this technology into my work at all I strongly feel this is an insult to life itself so question well, I got that quote dead right all right so here's a question so uh, what he's what he's kind of going up against is uh, what, what specifically you said was an artificial intelligence that created a, an image or a, an animation. And he said that the reason why it was basically an abomination was because it didn't have the same emotion behind it that one would have if it was created by a human being. Yeah. Right? So my question then become, as, as the devil's advocate, <laughs> is um, that if some sort of computer could... Is, uh, okay, it, it kind of like, um, do you remember the movie with Will Smith? Uh, I was it I robot. I robot? Yeah. yeah, of course. Where yeah. like I think the robot at one point was talking about like being able to paint a beautiful like image, right? Like a like a scene, like uh, you know, like a, I don't know, like a mountain range or something like that. It's very beautiful. Like what? Without knowing who created it, I feel like Miyazaki's argument kind of falls apart here. Like the only reason why. Um not the only reason why the like art is beautiful because art can be like aesthetically beautiful regardless of who creates it regardless of it's if it's just a if it's a, a um a a picture taken with an iphone of the mona lisa that can still be beautiful visually however emotionally art is beautiful because you know what went into it like what you know what i mean like w- without knowing though if somebody were to just show you an image i mean i'm sure you can extrapolate your extrapolate your own I'm not really getting your point. So what what I'm saying is that a a computer can create a work of art just as well on a certain level as a human could. Well, first of all, art is very subjective and I could like, you know, so, but I could, I I could make a thing, I could make something and, and, and you could have an interpretation that says that my piece of art is better than like Da Vinci or something. I mean, it's all, it's all subjective. Right. Or uh, I guess a better example, taking out computers, but like, uh, there, there are works of art that are just like, uh, to, to someone who didn't know what it was, it just looks like splashes of color on a, on a, on a you know, um, a canvas. And it's like, okay, a four-year-old could have created that. Like a Jackson Pollock? Yes. That are worth but, like millions? But you, de- you derive 
uh, or you perceive it as a beautiful work of art because you know who created it and the circumstances under which they created it. But if you didn't know that, then it would just be a random amalgamation of colors. So I think what Miyazaki is saying is that it's beautiful because of the pain that went into it and the pain that the person experienced. But if you didn't see, even know... I, see, I, I, dis- I disagree with that because I think... But that's kind of what he's saying, though. No, I, I actually... I disagree with that in the sense of I think what Miyazaki is saying and, and this kind of goes into my thesis mm-hmm. of, of what kind of my argument is of what makes his film so great is that it's not the pain of the person making it, but the pain of the character. Because he's saying that the, the character yeah. knows no has no understands no pain. It does not communicate well, no ca- pain. No character does. Characters are creations of the person. The char- characters are reflections of, of a part of the psyche of the person who created them. So right, like but, the character itself. But the character has- must communicate pain to the viewer, to the consumer, to the one res- on the receiving end of the story. Right. Also, Miyazaki's very opinionated. Yeah. And he has his own way of looking no, at things. No, no, I absolutely and, get that. I'm just... And, I'm, and he's in a position that he can say whatever he wants. No, no, 100%. And, and um, he's sort of like, almost like a god. I'm just and saying... he can kind of say whatever he wants, and it is it is what it is. Yeah, I'm just saying that I get what he's saying, and I understand the... But it's flawed on a certain level. See, I break it down to that. His issue is not with showing pain. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that there is no impact on the pain to life. So if you, if you watch that video, it shows like there's this humanoid creature moving with his head and the anime and the animators are like, well, the AI doesn't understand that a a human couldn't move with their heads. It's Mm -hmm. not constricted in that way. So it thinks of these really interesting ways to move a character that way. And basically what Miyazaki, I feel like is ultimately arguing is that fine, that's all well and good because he even says, you know, you can, you can make this stuff if you want to, that's all well and good, but it doesn't have room in his art because that pain is separated from realism. And I think what I'm saying is that the interpretation of, in this example, pain or any kind of emotion is dependent upon the viewer and it doesn't necessarily matter who created it or what created it, the, the, the work of art. It's all about interpretation and how the person perceives it. So if I looked at, um, I, I agree with you. Know, you. I agree with you. Yes. I'm, I'm supporting your point. But what I'm saying is, is that the, the disconnect comes in is that any viewer would look at that mm. and the creature experiences is experiencing no pain. There's no cost to moving by its head. Mm. There's no pain. There's no suffering there. It's disconnected. It's it's void of anything that we know, which, yes, makes it creepy, which, yes, makes it disconcerting because yeah. it is something unnatural. But I, in that unnaturalness, it's something that a viewer cannot connect with because it is see, unnatural. And that's where I would differ. I would say to say that no one can connect with it because it's not what they're, what one person is used to. I, I think people connect with a variety of things and that... that would make no sense to another person. You know, that's like two people can look at the same painting and derive two completely different things from it. So I, I actually don't really understand. I um, have different thoughts on this. Like, first of all, I, I know that a lot of the, I know that there are disabled people mm-hmm. that are like perfectly happy people. 
Like you'll see, you'll see people that have like, um, like terrible mental, mental handicaps, like down syndrome or whatever. And they're like the happiest people you've ever seen. Like they're always smiling and laughing and all this. And it's like, to me, just because a person has a disability doesn't mean that they're in pain. And he's a, he, he's making an assumption there about that. I actually like didn't even recall this quote being about pain. And when I heard him talk, say that this, that this was about like a, a disgrace to life itself, I looked back to when, to his, to prior quotes he had made where he said, like the otaku can't make anime can't make a real character because they spend all their time locked up in a room and they don't even know what a real person is yeah per- and- so perception is reality however i feel that in this particular instance miyazaki is confusing his reality with an objective reality well so like and his perception with objective to finish perception. my thought um he i i felt like he was saying that like how can an ai who knows nothing about like life and what people are make any kind of animation Cause it's, it's, it, it has no basis and cause he sits around and studies people and watches people and observes people and creates these characters that are, that feel like real people mm-hmm. and trying to create, um, a, a, the, the visual of life out of knowing nothing of life is a disgrace to life. It's kind of how I took it, but I, I totally missed the section about the pain and everything. So, so I think though, I think to kind of dive deeper oh yeah we're going uh, deep we're going la- several layers there? deep um i i kind of i kind of want to move on i have no drop for this but i should have one <laughs> um you have to get the uh we have to go deeper from inception <laughs> um i kind of i kind of want to look at basically what defining pain is because yes miyazaki focuses on war in env- the environment strong female characters and whatnot but i feel like that is Miyazaki's dedication to the depiction of pain in his characters is central to what makes his work truly wonderful. And and I feel like to that end, I want to put a framework around what pain is in the sense of what he is trying to depict and how that relates to his storytelling. So in almost all of Miyazaki's films, we do see signs of Shinto and Buddhist principles that it draws from. Um... For example, it's at the intersection of Shinto and Buddhism that the idea of a quote-unquote sacred area began to develop back when Buddhism was first introduced to Japan. Um, And the sacred area, of course, being a place where the kami was thought to have materialized. And we see this idea of a sacred area and materialized kami in Princess Mononoke. Um, In, you know, very obvious with the forest spirit, we have a sacred area that is the bathhouse in Spirited Away, a land where spirits are safe to relax and cleanse themselves. Um, the sacred area that Totoro is found is in the comfort tree and whatnot, yep. the sacred tree of the forest. Um, Nausicaa even finds a sacred place almost where the world is the reviving itself, the poison forest. Um, even in the wind rises, I feel you can argue that we see kind of this sacred space um, manifesting in Jiro's dreamscape where, you know, he talks and he gets kind of his inspiration for the plains and whatnot. And, um, we know that Miyazaki has commented whether or not it's historically founded is arguable on Buddhism specifically in influencing his work um, because Miyazaki once made a connection between the new forms of Buddhism and deforestation saying, quote, my interpretation of history is that within this process of decimating the forest, what came to fill the void was actually Kamakura Buddhism. So agree or disagree with his take on history aside, he is acknowledging there that Buddhism and the history of it and Shintoism and whatnot have are in his mind and are in, you know, his, 
his worldview and his work. So how does this relate to pain and what ultimately lends the definition of pain? Um, Buddhism basically teaches that pain and suffering are two separate things. So I'm going a little bit on a, a, a Buddhist explanation Some people here. love pain. Um, pain is an experience we have. Suffering is how we relate to the experience. Agreed. So Interesting. Let's say you get shot by an arrow. That results yep. in pain. It's yes. almost, it's the physical response of that. But your reaction to the arrow, getting angry, planning revenge, taking it out on the person who shot it, is beyond pain. Mm -hmm. That becomes suffering. So one can feel pain as a sensation. And when you do so without judgment or fear and remain present in the pain, that allows for transformation and healing. Let's stop there for a second. So I actually fully agree with that. I find that it's actually pretty much impossible to disagree with it. Um, I think that the fact that so I, this is not making a joke, right? I actually made a joke a second ago, but now I, but now it's not a joke. Mm -hmm. Take um, masochists, for example. Mm -hmm. Masochism, people that receive a certain type of experience from feeling pain. Pain is one thing, but those people are not suffering because yeah. of that pain. That is, that is the exact definition in a strange way, a way, to, a way to, to, to depict the separation between the two. Being able to like experience mindfulness, which is a really interesting like what like form of meditation, by the way, mm -hmm. mindfulness and being aware of your present moment will help helps you understand like things like this. If you're able to understand the pain that you're in, the situation, and relate it to yourself and relate it to your surroundings, then it's not necessarily tied to suffering. Absolutely not. In fact, there are things that 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 would make you suffer that maybe aren't painful. You know. And I had another way to say it is I had a Buddhist tell me, um, a Buddhist tell me once, you know, suffering, suffering is the disconnect between your expectations and reality. Um, and so suffering ultimately ceases when the attachment to desire ceases. So when you say it again, suffering ceases when your attachment to desire ceases or your okay, expectation yeah. When, when your expectation matches the reality of your situation. Yes. So rather than using the arrow analogy, mm -hmm. rather than being like, I got shot in the leg with an arrow. I can't believe it. How yeah. did this happen? Why is this happening to me? I'm so angry. If you go, I got shot in the leg it, with an arrow. It reminds me that's of life. Um, a book I read that I recommend to everybody um, that like people that ask you, oh, what's a good book? This is one I always recommend. It's uh, by a man named Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, he was a Holocaust survivor and also a psychologist. So it's all about his perspective, you know, surviving through that situation from from the from the eyes of someone who has studied the human psyche. Yeah. And a large part of survival in horrible circumstances is uh, acceptance. You know what I mean? Um, like a lot of the people that had the hardest time are ones that couldn't let go of what they had, what what had become or what 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 they had perceived as normal, what their life, what their life was before the situation. But those that have that were able to kind of accept their current circumstances, even though they were, I'm sure, still suffering, but not as much as those that had a hard time disconnecting. I don't know if I like the, what was that quote you just said? Where like, um, it's the, it's the difference between what suffering you expect. Suffering is the dif disconnect between our expectations and the reality the world gives us. I don't know if I like that. Why not? Well, it feels to me like, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say that are having like a tough time in their life. They'll be like, oh, love just leads to suffering or whatever. Or like if you love someone and then they break up with you or whatever, you just suffer because of it. And I'm like that to me, that quote and correct me if I'm wrong is I know very little. I'm, I'm not like an expert in Buddhism. That to me feels like saying if I don't like expect or want or or 
or put myself out there, then I can't ever suffer. But like, do you really want to be a person that doesn't ever like have desires or expectations about life? Well, so, so again, it's the disconnect. It's, it's, I look at it as saying, go in with both eyes open. So it's in the sense of if, you know, using your analogy, if you're in love with someone and if they leave you or if you leave them or something, yes, pain occurs, but the suffering is that is how you deal with the pain. And so your disconnect that creates suffering is, I can't believe that. How dare they? Or they're not understanding me or it's the dwelling on it. It's the dwelling on it. Whereas, you know. And, and even it's not saying don't love, but what I the way I see it is love with the understanding that there is a full spectrum of emotions and don't let that full spectrum ultimately create suffering. All right. So to bring this back, how does this relate to Miyazaki? Well, so to kind of finalize it, um, suffering ceases when the attachment to desire ceases. So when your mind experiences freedom from, you know, that attachment to what you see as the worldview and letting go of, you know, that craving or desiring to have control over that, um, some people achieve what many kind of know as nirvana. Um, it's, it's, it's that when you finally get over the girl, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've all been there, but like when you finally, you know, like there's a period of time after it where you're suffering and then eventually it gets to a point where you just don't even really think about them in that light. You know, maybe, you know, every blue moon they'll come up in your mind, but. And you have accepted reality as it is and the suffering has ended. Yes. So So how does that relate to Miyazaki? The way that I relate this back, again, using operating on the principle that, you know, Miyazaki, we have all of this other, um, evidence, anecdotal evidence that Miyazaki is very much a traditionalist, that he is very steeped in Japanese culture, that he highly reveres Japanese culture. I relate it back to Miyazaki's characters and therefore kind of the way the character structure is because we see the characters transition through pain to suffering to Nirvana. Can you give an example? Of course. So for example, Howell's pain is his responsibilities in the war to multiple people that are beyond his control and his own wills. So, and how even his heart isn't his own. Whereas this transfers into suffering when he avoids the responsibilities. He flees, he takes on multiple personalities. He even almost avoids himself. He goes through all the hair dye and, you know, having all of these different names and avoiding meeting with this king. And he has a summons from that king. And, you know, he's trying to play the game and and run from that. And that creates this suffering in himself. Hmm. Now, we see him gain nirvana at the end of the film in two broad strokes. One is when, you know, he basically tells to Sophie, Sophie's like, let's go. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Spoilers. Sophie. And I'm going to, yeah. Spoilers. Um, Sophie is like, Hey, let's go. And Howell is like, no, I'm not running away this time. I'm going to defend this place. I'm going to defend you. And then later on when Sophie ultimately, loves him and he sees himself as someone worthy of being loved and he mm. begins to respect his own will. We even see Nausicaa go through this. Yeah, where I was about to ask for another example. Nausicaa has the Tell pain. Tell me how Ponyo went through this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ponyo's, Ponyo's pain would be... No, no, no do not. Do, his, his, do okay. his, his pain is child abuse because his mother's a psychopath. She is not. She's <laughs> awesome. Nausicaa's pain would be the pain of her people and the turmoil of the where they're at with nature. That's the reality. That's the pain. Um, She engages in suffering with anger toward those who are making the problem worse. And ultimately, she achieves nirvana when she lets herself go and sacrifices herself for nature. Question. Answer. Okay. That's a good one. Um, 
Well, I, I have so many. I have a number of questions, but the one I'll start with is, so the acceptance of the circumstances and the finding the nirvana and 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 it it seems like there's a there's a, a measure of surrender involved, which results in being at peace with this. However, one could argue that certain things shouldn't be surrendered to. Certain things should be fought against. You know, and to, you know what I mean, like. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. So, uh, well, I mean, just not, not, not specifically a Miyazaki example, but just in general, like if there, if there is a, if there's something that is causing you pain and subsequently suffering because of the way you are dealing with it, um, there are times which the correct reaction is not to give into that, not to become at peace with that, but rather to put forth as much effort as you can to change those circumstances. So, right. But, but I think, I think the nirvana is achieved in that, in that example, I think as, the nirvana as, as is ultimately achieved when you say, I recognize this pain. Mm-hmm. I will not let it affect my mind view. Mm-hmm. I will not let it, I will not let it create suffering, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to change it. Okay. Because, okay. because the idea of pain isn't like, oh, I have a sword. I have or to use the arrow, I have an arrow sticking out of me. It's causing me pain. I, I accept, accept that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pull it out. Like, no, you pull out the arrow and you heal yourself. Mm-hmm. But the idea of the, the, the fundamental idea of the suffering is not, it's not don't change the thing that's causing you pain. Right. It's don't allow your mind view to be such that that pain turns into suffering. Yes. To, to accept what has occurred and move forward with resolving it. However, in whatever way it needs to be resolved. Exactly. And that may just be just accepting. Yeah, that that may that may be just accepting. That may be, you know, something that you can ultimately change and adapt to. Mm -hmm. But all of I think all of Miyazaki's characters kind of go through this transition. And I think there is a a catharsis to this for us as the viewer, because we will take Sen as another example. You know, Sen's pain is manifested in, you know, she's she's put in a place that she doesn't want to be. She's her, she, at the start of the film. She's moving with her family. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to move. She misses her friends. She doesn't want to be in this place. She doesn't appreciate her parents. She's, you know, in that place. And that creates suffering. That creates the resentment toward her parents, the, you know, kind of frustration with them. Even when they start to turn into pigs, she's like, you know, there's that emotion of how can you do this? Yeah. You know, even when her parents start eating, she's screaming at them, let's go. I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And her father is like, yeah, I have daddy has his credit cards. Um, and we see Sen going through that suffering. And I think what makes Spirited Away such a fantastic movie, especially, is because that is a suffering that I think many people, if not all of us, have gone through at some point of that coming of age where, you know, we begin to see our parents as they truly are. And the mm. suffering that comes from that of, you know, they might not be the person we thought they were, or maybe they are. And that's its own. When you realize, suffering. oh, shit, I'm way smarter than my parents. <laughs> um, and so and so I think, you know, Sen becomes very relatable and her journey, you know, it, is one of, of, she runs away. She becomes, she goes from Chihiro to Sen. She gives up her name and only at the end, you know, and what the advice that Kohaku or that Haku gives to her is don't forget your name. Mm, Don't forget the reality. Don't forget, don't forget what reality is. Don't forget your pain. Mm -hmm. Don't let it lead to suffering, which is running away. And ultimately at the end of the film, 
everything is resolved when she embraces the fact that she is Chihiro. And Quest. she also, at the end of that movie, turns down like tons of gold from No Face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who I guess is the opposite of Chihiro because she has a name and her identity. Yeah, and I think he doesn't. No Face is like the embodiment of. Of greed? Of, yeah, of greed. Of, of, uh, of uh, he's basically the exact like as you said the opposite of what she was trying to achieve. Yeah, he's he's the antithesis. He's the antithesis of her, and he tries to draw her in with gold and whatever else, and she rejects that. And it's in and it's that point in the movie where she sorts of is starting to break the free of it all. Yes, and and it's also that part of the movie where she begins to see reality for what it is. She sees everyone else being so obsessed with this gold that she begins to detach herself mm-hmm. from that suffering. I would actually say that the entire bathhouse is pretty much an embodiment of greed yeah. and she, it's her escape from the bathhouse mm-hmm. is, is that pivotal moment where, Absolutely. so that's probably the best example we've had so far of this question. All right. I, I agree. That is beautiful. And that's probably my favorite Miyazaki movie. And it's, it's a work of art like that, that whole concept and breaking down her psyche and everything like that is incredible. Devil's advocate mode. Do yeah. you think that Miyazaki is limiting himself by sticking to these same themes though throughout all of his movies? I don't think so. See, I don't I don't think so and that comes for me from a storyteller perspective in mm. the sense of pain creates conflict mm-hmm. which gives something to resolve. Yeah. And that is the fundamental aspect of a good story. A good story is created by conflict, which I'll actually get into in some of my comments that I prepared for Love Tyrant in the review. Mm-hmm. But but a good story has a central conflict that the hero is trying to overcome. And when that conflict is tied to a pain that the hero has experienced, mm-hmm. that invokes an empathy from us as the viewer. Right. Because we we begin to empathize with them and see that they're in pain. And a lot of times, as I've said, these pains are fundamental to what we experience as people and, and the, the conditions of the human experience. And so we look at that and we're cheering for this hero as they go through this journey. Right. I agree with that. And I, I, I think that's, um, that's, that's what makes it so beautiful. However, I, I don't think that exactly kind of answers what I was looking for is that, um, okay. The way I see it, I'm, you know, obviously not a storyteller, but yeah. as, as, uh, let's say as a martial artist, as somebody who's like studied and observed and martial arts my entire life, you have, you can have someone who is a master at a particular form, you know, let's say jujitsu yeah. and they have, they have nailed it. They are an artist. They are incredible. They could be the best in the world at jujitsu, but that can be all they're good at. And, and they, they can neglect the, all the other forms and styles. And I, and I feel like, uh, not, not that I feel like I'm like, I guess my question is more of, is it, is it possible that if Miyazaki is sticking solely to the concept of, you know, pain and acceptance, which seems to be what all of his movies are about. And also like man versus nature, which is another theme that is in literally all of his movies. Could it be that he is, um, he is limiting himself as an artist or as a martial artist is what I'm saying, but he's limiting himself as a creator by not exploring these other forms or these other, uh, not, not forms of storytelling, but these, you know, I understand. You know I understand. I understand what you're trying to say. And I have several thoughts on that. First of all, I would say that unless you're sitting down having an intellectual discussion about Miyazaki as we are at this moment, mm-hmm. people don't even understand that he's doing this. 
Yeah. So people look at like Key's delivery service and they look at Spirited Away and they look at Oswald and Castle and they see no connection. Yeah. But then if you really break it down, it's like, well, these are very similar. They are. But like, so in that sense, in, in the sense that it's all in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. Miyazaki's not limiting himself because his movies seem very diverse in what they're about. Mm-hmm. One. Second, you, you'll hear people talk about how, oh, it's great to be a well-rounded person. Like maybe you're, maybe you're good at five or six things, mm-hmm. but it's the person who dedicates their life to one thing and is truly great at one thing yeah. that is successful. So you'll, you'll hear about like, oh, maybe... Like maybe some, maybe some athlete can play baseball, basketball and football pretty well, but if that's all they can, if they, but if they can only play those three, those three things pretty well, they have nothing. If you're truly transcendent in one of those three things, if you've dedicated your, your life to that one thing, that's when you become special and when people remember you. There's a Bruce Lee quote that says, uh, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Exactly. Same thing. Yeah. Also. I find it actually beautiful that a man like Miyazaki has dedicated his life to the same message. Um, that's something that he truly believes in. He has real conviction about it. And he's not making movies because he wants to make a bunch of money. He's not making movies because it's pandering fan service crap yeah. like we're about to talk about in like 20 minutes. <laughs> he is making movies because he's an artist and he has a message that he wants to convey mm-hmm. and he doesn't give a shit if people like the movie. He doesn't care if it's the most fun movie in the world because let's face it, the wind rises. Yeah. He doesn't the- care if he has a studio backing him. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he just starts working on it. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is, is that Miyazaki, you know, he doesn't care if the wind rises is a fun movie. He has a message to tell and, he, and he's, and he's going to tell it. And the funny yeah. thing is, is that he's the most successful anime creator ever. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I would say to kind of go off of your analogy uh, with the martial arts is that I wouldn't because again, because I link it back up in, from a storytelling perspective of basically saying the main conflict. It, what it is is the character is in pain that creates a conflict. The end of the movie, it's resolved. Um that is so generic from a storytelling perspective that I think a proper, a more proper analogy is more like not a martial artist choosing one subsect or one specific form, even of a subsect of martial arts, mm-hmm. but a person deciding that they are going to focus on martial yeah. arts because there is, I mean, as Mitsuki said, there is a lot of ways that Miyazaki applies this through a lot of different a different movies, different subjects and whatnot. And, um, I, I, I think, you know, my, my point of this is not kind of wrapping this up and whatnot. My whole point of this is not to say one, this is just my theories on it. Um, two, it's not to say that this is the only theme Miyazaki's mo- movies have, um, because they're certainly not. As you said, the man versus nature thing is a huge theme. Um, war is oftentimes a huge theme in his films. Um, you know, the bygone days of Japan is a is another thing that you see. So, so there's a lot of of themes that you see in Miyazaki's films. But my kind of thesis argument for this deep dive and and I'm not neglecting any of those, but it's basically saying that 
more than any of those themes, what makes Miyazaki's films so truly transcendent across all people who watch them is this fundamental idea that we all experience pain and suffering at some point and we can all relate to the characters and we all then are on the same team as the characters cheering for them to see the resolution of that pain and suffering. And that more than anything else is part of is is the core of what makes quote unquote Miyazaki so good because so many people see his films and they see that aspect of overcoming suffering and they see themselves in it. I feel like that's a good place to Yeah, that's I mean, the sad thing to me is that like there are a lot of people even watching in our chat that don't like Miyazaki and haven't seen Miyazaki. And I haven't seen his movies. That's true. No, yeah, you said haven't seen Miyazaki. I'm yeah, like, they haven't, haven't seen, seen his movies. Well, I haven't seen him either. <laughs> we hang out every now and then. Yeah. Right. I did see uh, the Miyazaki uh, museum thing, or the where where he has like his like uh, you know um, what is it like his desk and everything like that with all the cigarettes on it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's like my thought is that this is. I mean, we're we're getting off the. Uh, is there more like wonderful intellectual pe- uh, bullet points here? No, to no, no. Discuss? That's that's kind of where I had it sort of ending. I mean, for me. first of all, I think that that discussion was really good and brings value to the listener, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, oh, thanks. Uh, the sadness for me is that people, a lot of people haven't seen Miyazaki and it just goes back to the fact that like a lot of anime viewers don't go back and watch things that are older than like five years old. Mm-hmm. Fact of the matter is that Miyazaki's heyday was the 80s and 90s and no one goes back there and watches that stuff, you know, and um it's you can't even have a conversation about this with virtually anything that's made today. I mean, are we gonna have an intellectual discussion about Fate Zero? I don't think so. Oh god. I really don't think so. Are we gonna have an intellectual discussion about Love Tyrant? Yeah, we sure are. I mean, we're gonna have an intellectual I, I mean I, I, went, I, I went have some, some thoughts. Yeah, me too. I went through some pain and suffering watching that. <laughs> so uh, you know, just as an example. And for people to like watch a Miyazaki movie and say, I didn't like that or that wasn't good, it's just a lack of is it too far? Is it going too far to say a lack of yes. of, of, of insight on the movie? It is um, I mean, because there are classic books like F, like F. Scott Fitzgerald, yeah. and there's a there's a strange reason why, like in high school, you you have to read the same books, mm-hmm. and it's because they're literary masterpieces that establish the future genres. It's like oh, people go, who's this Mozart person? Mm-hmm. I, 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 and I say, well, guess what? Without Mozart, you wouldn't have Mozart. Music. You wouldn't even have music today. These are the people that literally carved out the the musical theory that classical musicians are the people that laid the groundwork for music that allowed all music since then to exist and if you don't and and if you don't appreciate like beethoven and mozart well you don't you don't know what you're Mm -hmm. talking about because you don't you shake your head no but 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 scarlatti Bach, mozart they established musical theory that all music before leaned on certainly however you don't have to like not everyone has to appreciate that they don't have to art is completely well, subjective they don't have to like it but they should appreciate it well, i think that I there's think, a difference I th- there i think i think what you're saying though i think we're you guys are on different sides of a definition of appreciation i mm-hmm. think what you are saying mitsugi is recognize the contribution to the medium but not necessarily like it and you're mm-hmm. saying appreciate from a perspective of enjoy yes okay that's, yeah, that's true. Not everyone. That's what I'm saying. It's like not everyone has to enjoy Mozart. Not everyone has to enjoy Miyazaki. 
because art is completely subjective. Two people can look at the exact same thing and derive completely different things from it. I agree. So, so like I've, I've given the music example. Mm-hmm. I gave the book, I gave the literature example yeah. of like Fitz, Fitzgerald and, and whatever. And, and now I'm saying like, if someone watches Miyazaki's movies and they say, like that, I didn't like that movie or, that's fine. or, or the movie wasn't good. That's fine if you didn't think the movie was fun. Like you didn't like bounce around in your seat and eat chomp on popcorn while you watched it. But you still need to need to look at the movie and under and re- recognize its contribution to the medium. Yeah, I think there's a there's a a bit of a jump between those two statements. And like pe- you don't have to enjoy it at all. You could be like that. I hate that movie. That movie it was not good to me. But as you said, you do you must recognize its contribution to the medium. But I think there's a there's a big chasm between those two statements like between enjoying something mm-hmm. and recognizing its contribution and, and i would also go and i would go further and risk people hating me even more as i always do mm-hmm. by saying that you don't have to, to watch to watch anim- to watch no i can't but that's not <laughs> i mean to watch anime today and have not watched like miyazaki movies or movies from other directors that establish the genre mm-hmm. is like saying that i know a ton about i know a ton about um books because i read harry potter but i can't name any of the classic literature like that's basically you, you have like a surface level understanding of the medium and you should go back and watch at least a handful of the classic movies that let other anime movies, ex- other anime properties exist since then. Mm. Like you owe to yourself as someone if who you appreciates wanna, the medium. If you want to consider yourself a scholar of some sort, yes. But if you are just simply one who enjoys the medium as it currently is, then that's totally okay. People can do what they want. I'm just recommending yeah. that, like, if you want, if you're an appreciator of anime, then you should, then, and you haven't seen any, if you haven't seen any, like, um, Miyazaki, if you haven't seen any Katsuhiro Otomo, if you haven't, if you haven't seen a, any of the movies from other Ghibli directors, you should go back there and watch some of those because that is where you gain a real understanding of, of, of like how I'm how a mecha show exists now. It exists because there were other great mecha animes that existed back in the eighties. Is all I'm saying. It's just, this is just a plug for me saying go back and watch the classics, basically in summary. Okay. Right. Yeah. It hurts my soul when I see people in our chat that watch our show say I've never seen a Ghibli movie. There are people in there that there are people in the chat that said yeah. that, and I'm like, well, I would definitely recommend that, that you do. Yeah, I would. And I I honestly say, if nothing else, Spirited Away is a really good place to start because it was the show that won the Academy Award. And so at the very least, it has kind of that level of acclaim to it. So we are going to take another news break. And when we come back, we're going to have the review of the anime Love Tyrant. But as we go out, we're going to leave you with another in-show weekly trivia question for you to play along with yourself. Another name the anime. You would. (laughs) I didn't say anything. Our main character discovers that he is the sixth generation son of the Hokage Ninja clan and possesses the ability to control or manipulate flames. Did you say what? He dedicates uh, not, his not, services. Not so simple, is it, punk? He dedicates his services as a as a ninja to Yanagi Sakoshita, a girl with the ability to heal. What is this anime? I haven't. I'm, I don't know if I know this. Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, that's a tough one. All right. Well, we'll give you the answer when we come back from our news break. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Oh, I got it right. <laughs> Hey, you anime addicts, this is Mitsugi, and it's time for your second anime news break. Getting us started off this time, Natsume's Book of Friends, the anime, is getting a film in 2018. Sueisha's website announced that 
The Natsume's Book of Friends franchise is inspiring an anime film that will be premiering next year, and it has also made various other announcements, including that voice actors Hiroshi Kamiya and Kazuhiko Inoue will return to play Takashi Natsume and also Nyanko Sensei from the anime, and that also the animation studio Shuka is going to be returning to do the film. Studio animation studio Shuka also did the fifth and sixth seasons of Natsume's Book of Friends. The anime is about a boy named Natsume who has been able to see spirits since he was little. Unfortunately, humans do not like him very much, and there has been not been much fondness between him and the spirits either until one day he inherits a book of friends from his grandmother and the book actually is full of contracts that his grandmother made to trap spirits as one spirit after another show up natsume tries to release or help them even while many of them seek vengeance on him so interesting premise and a film for those of you that are big fans of the franchise coming out in 2018. next up uniqlo a very popular Japanese clothing uh, franchise is installing clothing vending machines throughout U.S. airports and various malls. The company has installed five of these very large vending machines since August 2nd, including one in California's Oakland airport. And they are also going to be rolling out other units, including ones that are now in Queen in the Queen Center, a shopping mall in New York City, where people can buy uh, Uniqlo jeans and other products including down jackets and other heat tech clothing for the winter season in New York. For those of you that are big fans of Uniqlo and happen to be going through airports this year, you might run into one of your favorite brands and vending machines uh, wherever you happen to be going. And next up, we have some interesting news. Tadaka Tomi's Shinkalian franchise is also getting a television anime in 2018. The Shinkalian is a toy franchise that are modeled after some of Japan's most famous bullet trains. The robots, they look exactly like Japanese uh, bullet trains that transform into mech robots to protect Japan and its people from an unknown evil. So another children's franchise in which a popular toy will be getting an anime series, this time a mecha anime. Next up, we return to news in the in the southwestern region of Japan as the as the ground self-defense force is being deployed on the island of Miyakojima in the Okinawa prefecture as part of an effort to strengthen Japan's defenses against North Korea's missile launches. Some 700 ground, ground self-defense force units are going to be stationed on the island and they are going to be launching missile units in order to shoot down enemy missiles that will be flying potentially over the island of Japan. Also, they are keeping an eye on China, which is accelerating its military buildup and maritime expansion. This coming from the Japan Times. So it looks like tensions continue to build between Korea, Japan, and China in that region of the world. Hopefully it won't amount to much, but we're keeping that an eye on that as it develops. This was Mitsugi, and this was your Anime News Break. And now it's time to get back to the podcast. Kimiko, are you okay? What's going on? Oh, I was running sprints in the parking lot. 
Uh, I want to be the fastest at everything. See how fast I can watch an anime episode on 5x speed? I can't even see the subtitles. <laughs> are you sure you're not high on drugs? <laughs> the anime drug? <laughs> hey, hey, what are you doing? Stop that. Oh, um, I'm pre-ordering a bunch of anime figures from JList.com. I'm going to be the first one out of all of my friends to get one. JList.com has anime figure pre-orders? Hundreds, actually. Looks like you're not the fastest at anime figuring. Better take your training back to the parking lot while I'll take my pre-ordering back to JList.com. Our final segment of the 391st episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. We come back to you with our trivia question for the news break. In our in this anime, the main character discovers that he is the sixth generation son of the Hokage Ninja Clan and possesses it's the Naruto. and possesses the ability to control or manipulate flames. Oh, he dedicates wait. his services as a ninja to Yanagi Sakushita, a girl with the ability to heal. What anime is this? Flame of Rekka. Flame I had of no Rekka. idea. I had it the minute you said flames. Yeah. Yeah. So. It was a tricky question, though. That's just because it's an old show from like 91 or something. Mm. Nobody goes back and watches this. They don't. They truly don't. That's a fact. All right. So we have um, fi- we have a five-star review. Yes. Who wants to read it? Um, I will. By Wakaranai Sen- Senpai writes, awesome people with awesome personalities with awesome taste that have awesome topics, awesome, awesome. news, and awesome reviews. Did I mention... Did I mention? Did, did I, I forget, forget to mention, mention awesome podcast? Hell yeah! Thank you very much for that. We have we've had a swell a swelling of reviews on iTunes. A swelling. A swelling. A swelling. So people are really they're, they're trying to get us a to smoking. have as many reviews as we have podcast episodes, and we're only like forty or so short. Mm. So we'll get there. It's pretty impressive for like a podcast to have like upwards of four hundred reviews on iTunes. Like that's like what you'd expect from a a podcast from like, um, uh, like, be- a, like a good one. Yeah. yeah. Like a good podcast, like a, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a, uh, what's that national radio NPR NPR has like 400 reviews on podcasts, like not anime podcasts don't have that. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for you guys. That's a lot of effort that like has been occurring over years and years and we love you. Yeah. We appreciate you greatly. We do. Yeah. All right. And now we're on <laughs> to so our <laughs> final segment, which is a review on the anime Love Tyrant. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but I already ate this <laughs> shit burger. <sighs> All right. So 
question, guys. Oh, I have a question, actually. Oh. Why I, the hell did you I'm pass this show? I'm going to preempt your question with a question. <laughs> yes. I watched, I watched at least three episodes of this. At least. And I thought, what the hell? How did the hell did this pass? You had it as a four on the document. And I'm like, what in the hell had you? What were you, you know, like? Guys. What? Wait a second. I hope that you were having an amazing st- altered state of mind yeah. experience on like, on like mescaline <laughs> or something crazy, like t- cactus nectar or some like butterfly dust. For you to watch <laughs> this and go, dust? that's a four. I near. Uh, so I, I, I had a bad choice of words online, as I, mm-hmm. as I often do. But. What? You? Yeah. But I nearly gouged out my eyeballs with mm-hmm. chopsticks just after watching oh, the opening video. That's painful. The opening theme song. That was about as... That was I always a, skip the opening. I hated this anime from the first minute. Uh, you know, Chiaki, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to regress here as a culture. We just had the most intellectual discussion about but, Mizaki. Uh, I feel, and now we're jumping into love time. I feel like we should at least consider revoking your right to vote. Aww. On anime, I'm just kidding. She has good picks too. No, no, that's the thing. You have like the most amazing picks, and well, the not so amazing picks. So, so here's the here's the thing. Back back when I gave the impression of this show, the the reason the reason why I passed it is I saw this show as setting itself up to be intentionally dumb. I okay. found the first three episodes amusing. Yes, and what I expected based on the third episode, the show to turn into is a show was the show to be about this core unit of these four people, the three girls and the guy mm-hmm. hooking up these weird couples because by the third episode, they're all in that quote unquote relationship together mm-hmm. and they're hooking up the teacher and student couple yeah. and that weirdness. And I expected it to be almost a monster of the week okay. with this clever, with this semi clever concept of like this kiss note of yes. writing people in there and almost like the couple consultants where each of them had a trope that was over the top mm-hmm. and how the hijinks that would ensue as they basically were like the most ridiculous camaraderie of matchmakers ever conceived. All right. I can see that. Especially like the first three episodes. It's but like, it's so terrible. Like the delivery is just awful. Well, and the other the other thing about it that I found that I found amusing in those first episodes was that they did kind of break the the fourth wall a bit and almost laugh at themselves of like it's a it's a completely acceptable non copyright infringing kiss note. Yeah, yeah. Like there there were those moments or even in the first episode I remember with Goody and the main character. I thought it was funny the moment she was like, if you don't kiss someone, you're going to die. And he's like, well, OK. And he just kisses her. And I'm like, well, no, if he doesn't kiss someone, she'll die. Oh, she'll die. And he just kisses her. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that well, no, is. A- so actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like so initially she was like, uh, if you don't kiss someone, I'll die. And, yeah. then, and then initially he's like, uh, okay, whatever. I don't care. And then she's like, and you'll also be a virgin forever. Oh and yeah, that's like, right. Shit. And he's like, shit. And then he kisses her. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a realistic, funny reaction. Like if someone, yeah. if someone appeared and said that to you, like you have to kiss someone or mm. you'll be a virgin forever. Yeah. As a dude, you just I'm like, well, well, all right, here goes. And so I found it, I found it to be something that I was hoping would continue that sort of laughing at itself comedy that I saw in the first couple episodes and then become one of those almost again with the laughing at itself comedy, hooking up all of these relationship tropes that we see in anime and kind of deconstructing that a little bit in a comedic manner that both upholds the stereotypes as they're deconstructed. So again, of the teacher student relationship, that is not what we got. 
I had a really weird thought while I was watching the show. And this is like way out of like left field. Okay. So as a guy who just spent a, a lengthy amount of time with a poly girl, mm-hmm. right? Um, a I, Polynesian girl? No, that's She's not what I mean. from Hawaii. That's Pacific not what Islander. I mean. Um, I, I look at these shows differently. She was a parrot. <laughs> yes. Okay. She was poly. <laughs> yeah. I looked at these. That's a terrible joke, by the way. I know. I look I'm at these sorry. shows differently. Like, you know, Japan was, is the she most. She was a multidimensional. She was a polygon. I'm trying to have an actual thought. <laughs> Not about parrots or about Polynesian girls or about multi-sided. Wow. <laughs> Never mind. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> Japan being the most conservative culture, I, I one of the most conservative cultures I can think of, maybe ex- excluding Middle Eastern cultures. Like th- this show is. These shows are basically about polyamory. It just is. Like you got a guy and it's a harem. Yeah, but like you don't. I never thought of it like that before. Like now you have like this show literally was like, and I couldn't, I could not deny it while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. There's even a point where in the show she writes this person and this person and this person and this person and this person all chained together. Like everyone loves everybody else. Well, and, and I'm I like, think that is, that is something like Japan would never condone ever. But, but, but I, but I do, that is what it is. I do think that's interesting because I was going to make that distinction where this show falls more on the polyamory side of things rather than the harem. Very much. Because the girls also share love, love yeah. toward each other. That's true. Whereas a true harem is just a bunch of girls that all love the same guy, mm. but maybe are friends with each other or maybe have no, even no relationship with each other or that's don't know each other exists. That's what a harem is. Where I agree with you, Mitsuki, I thought this was interesting because it did serve to emphasize that there was love between the girls. Now it was different love. Like you had the one girl, the blonde girl who was in romantic love Mm -hmm. with the red haired girl and the red haired girl though, she had a familial love toward her. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very much a, they, they were presented as a unit of the four of them together rather than just here's the guy and all of these other girls are connecting into him, but have no relationship with each other. But even more as a person who, who feels like they have a very strong understanding of what polyamory is right now, even just a guy with like four girls and the girls don't even know or like each other. That's Mm. still polyamory. It is. Whether they know it or not. Yeah. So every harem show is about polyamory. It basically is. And Japan would never condone that, but it's, it's everywhere. Right. But I was, I was just drawing a distinction between kind of the average harem show that, that I think that we see, not to say that it's not a form of polyamory, but more just, I I did find that interesting. And I did kind of like that in the first couple episodes. And and then it wasn't about that at all. And I was like, this show, it could have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. If it was like a, if it was like a deconstruction or a criticism or or a, a alternative viewpoint or, or something, or at the on, very least funny, or funny at least <laughs> on that, but it just, it just, I mean, it really had that possibility, but really dropped it. In the wise words of the main character from Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift, it's got yeah. potential. So <laughs> now that you guys, now that you guys have gotten through the initial shit on me for passing the show, yeah, can sorry. I, I'm not can sure I quickly, can yet, we still love you. Can I quickly go through kind of the bullet? Can, can I go quickly through some of the bullet points of this show for anyone who, yeah, you know, do it. isn't familiar with Love Tyrant? Do it. Love do Tyrant it. is based on a manga started back in 2012, seven current volumes. This is the first anime adaptation. It started in April of 2017 and ran through June 22nd of this year, 2017. Um, the, rec- the director is uh, Atsuhi Nigorikawa and... The other things that he was the director on was Antore X and XX. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't really see any other directorial credits that would be worth noting. 
He was an episode director on a lot of good shows. Um, he did an episode of Black Lagoon, um, Kimi Ni Todoke. He did a bunch of episode direction for Naruto and Naruto Shippuden. Um, but the un- only other show, or that's the only other show that he was the actual director for was the um, Anitore. Um, as far as the studio, the studio behind it is EMT Squared. squared. Mm. Um, and this studio also put out uh, Kumamiko, they put out Nyanko Days, oh, um, Kumamiko Specials. Yeah, um, Kumamiko being the show about the little girl at the temple with the bear. Which I actually thought was sweet at some moments. Yeah. But um, so that's kind of the background of this. The quick synopsis summary is our main character, character Seiji, mm-hmm. meets a Cupid. Goody. How does he write in her again, by the way? Does she, she just, just shows up. She just shows up. Okay, she just shows up. And... Goody writes his name in the kiss note where he then has to kiss someone. Otherwise, as Cosmo said, she will die and he will be a virgin forever. Um, but if she if he kisses the person, they'll mm-hmm. you know be together and in love. Um, I really think that this show had potential in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm it, saying. Yeah. From, the th- from the first three no. episodes. No, okay. this show sucked from the beginning. But I think that had it not sucked from the beginning and gone a little bit differently, it could have been good. The, so, the, the kiss note thing yeah. could have been done really well, mm-hmm. but like they burn that thing like on episode four and you yeah. never see it again. So, <laughs> so it's well, like, but then they had the cell phone one. Uh, just, he, gets, the same. he gets matched, matched with Akane, who's kind of the class idol and who's also super, I think Yandere is uh, the is appropriate. The, red, the red-haired girl? Is mm-hmm. the red-haired girl. I was just thinking psychopath, but. Yeah, she's yeah. basically a ninja. Um, and she's madly in love with Seiji, totally cool with this thing. But the person who isn't cool is Yuzu. And Yuzu is Akane's stepsister. stepsister. And she's blonde because it's so funny. She looks like a lemon. And, um, she I is. I guess Yuzu means lemon. I, Yuzu is a citrus fruit that oh, is yeah. yellow. Okay. Well, Yuzu is in love with Akane and slowly be, and gets involved with this goody Akane love triangle. And because they're all becoming this love quadrilateral um they then all with goody they all then become immortal because they're in a relationship with a cupid and it's set up that oh goody has cupid duties that she has to fulfill and set up couples Mm -hmm. but the problem but i see with the show oh my god we're gonna be here till like tomorrow morning what we're about to run down the show's problems. Oh god! Until tomorrow morning. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, one of one of the biggest fundamental problems, and and, Is and that I'm, it exists. Oh, and I'm, poor Chiaki. And I'm trying to say this as a fundamental problem, where I'm not necessarily trying to shit on the fact that you know, oh, it's a harem show, and I'm just going to shit on that, or oh, it's a you know. It's a it's a stupid comedy show because comedy is subjective. No, what I'm trying to say is that there's no overarching mission or conflict that the show can rely on. And the closest thing that you get to that is teach Goody what love is. Mm-hmm. But you start out with the, you know, you start out with that initial inciting incident, which isn't the main conflict, but the inciting incident of Seiji's name getting written in the kiss note. And then... The conflict by episode three is set up to be make couples. Goody has a duty to make couples. And that's, what she's, duty. that's what she's been. Goody got a booty. That's what she's been set Not here really. to do. Um, but then kind of nothing happens with that. Like you see a couple couples. You see like two get made and then the kiss note get burned, but don't worry. There's a phone one she can borrow and then not much else happens for a bit. And then it's like, teach Goody about love 
Because if you don't, all of a sudden the devil is involved. Yeah, she'll become a demon. And she'll become a demon. And basically what I'm trying to say is that my fundamental issue with the show, when I say that this show wasn't good, um, is not... I can remove myself from comedy. I can remove myself from the, you know, the the characters. I can remove myself from everything else. But there was no driving conflict that and the show, it wasn't even a slice of life. The show set it up to have one. And even in slice of life, there is a growth arc that occurs. But this show is predicated on. And at then, least a good slice of life. Yeah, at least a good slice this, of life. This is so far from slice of life. I don't. No, but I, I'm saying argument love life. like like someone could say a slice of life doesn't have a big <laughs> overarching plot. OK, um, but a good story is built on um, therefore, but rather than and then. And so basically to to put that to put that in a in an example of a story, a story built on therefore, but is um, and the example I actually talked about this in my writing newsletter this month. Um, so I'm using Harry Potter as an example because that's the first thing that comes to mind. And you can sign up but, for Chiaki's writing newsletter by going to, I don't know your website. Elisecova.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, but no, basically what using Harry Potter as an example, Harry starts receiving letters, but the Dursleys don't want him to get them. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they go to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, but... Hagrid finds them anyway. Therefore, Harry finds out he's a wizard. Therefore, he goes to Hogwarts, but But, at Hogwarts. So the story is 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 basically the therefore but story is predicated on cause and effect, and builds or or like conflict and resolution, and then another conflict. Exactly. Whereas a story built on and then which is what we see really in Love Tyrant, can be rearranged in any way. Yeah. And, and then story is Harry cleaned the kitchen and then Harry pet a dog and then Harry got a new sweater. Yeah, but there's no like point to anything and there's no... You can rearrange them in any way you want yeah. and it's the same story. Actually, to give credit, um, Wisecrack really talked about this on YouTube in a video about South Park and why the most recent season sucked. So I'm giving credit to them. But the problem with that you find in this show is that there's no therefore but that ever happens either on an episode level or an overarching plot level and so there's no satisfaction there for the one. viewer there is um so okay the therefore is uh the main character dude gets his name written into the book with the one cupid girl but the other girl tries to kill him therefore they write her name into the book but her stepsister is jealous. Therefore, they write her name into the book. Yeah. But. <laughs> and that's all the first three episodes. And then they lose it, basically. Yeah. Guess what has, guess, guess uh, and what arrangement jealousy is the most uh, difficult thing to manage. What? Say that sentence one more time. Guess in what arrangement jealousy is the most difficult emotion to manage. In a polyamory. polyamory. This whole show, I feel like this whole show is like, it could, it could have been, it could easily have been a deconstruction. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Or, I mean, it's undeniable. Or it could have, like I said, been a just a LOL at anime tropes with I guess. by looking at their own anime tropes. Like there's a number of ways they could have done this, but they didn't do anything with it. Yeah. And that's ultimately the show's problem is that even if you say comedy is subjective, so don't judge it on comedy. The show did nothing with it's itself. It's not funny either. It And I, I didn't find it funny. It's not but. funny at all. In fact, like 
They did, some people did. No, well, they need to watch something else. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Like um, some people probably did, but there's but there's like that. There's that. New, I bet you new anime fans would think would find this funny. Like we're so jaded that like we can't possibly enjoy well, this. But on my anime list, it has a six point nine. So well, that's, that's about as might as well be a zero. I basically, but like um, for example, the girl with the red hair, Akane, she like attacks people with her stupid curved blades like four times an episode. Yeah, this is just an example of like people trying to write comedy and not knowing how to do it. And I'm sorry, you can't tell the same joke every four minutes. I, you, I can't hear the same joke every four minutes. It doesn't, it's not funny again. Maybe it's funny twice if you put like a big gap in time in between, but that's not what this show does. This is one of those shows where the horse died and they kept beating the crap out of its corpse over and over again with like a stick. I feel like more it's the horse ran away and they just tried to find a new horse and beat on random woodland creatures. <laughs> Could For be. the record, we don't condone animal abuse, and if you abuse animals, then um, you're probably one of the most awful people in the universe. Um, that could be that could, that's probably true. Um, I'll try to say something good about this show. Here's my fair crack. Good luck. Um, I thought it was good. It's short ish. That most of the time the girls didn't need the guy to save them. Ultimately, feminism or something ish. Mm, no, because it's a harem. It can't be feminism. So uh, I disagree with that fundamentally. Really? Correct me. Because I'm probably just talking without thinking. Well, no, I, I I'm saying I think it is too simple to say a harem cannot be feministic because that to me goes against the idea that a woman cannot decide what to do with her body. That's, if all women are consenting partners in a relationship. Okay, that's fair. But this show is pandering. Yeah, look, I if mean, several a, of our female listeners want to be in a polygamous relationship with me. That is up to them. No, and I support them. There's a, there's a, there's a big <laughs> difference between polygamous and. I know, I'm joking. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we knew that that wasn't the same thing. Um, so like, there's a scene where the one girl is tied up like by, by what can only be described as Hisoka's bungee gum from Hunter Hunter. The you know you know you know you know scene I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then the other then the crazy oh, psychotic girl who I don't even know what kind of a dead is she is. She goes up to her. Cuts her shirt open with a knife, writes a heart on her breast in blood, and then starts massaging her breasts. I mean, like, this is... I, I know you don't think this show is feminist, but it is definitely not. I mean, there is so much fan service and pandering in this show that it is just, wow. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm not... I, I was trying... As I said, I'm going to try to say one good thing about the show. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I, know. Um, I know, this is like the con condemned Chiaki moment. It's there's one the show's bad, but looking at really not. I'm not disagreeing. No, we don't have we shouldn't be condemning looking. It's at hard my, to judge something after three episodes. Looking at my anime list. There oh is. Boy. So you know how some they'll have like written reviews. Yeah, and they're always nines. One person gave it a ten. Oh, my God. What, what reason is there? Can you read that? Yes. Is it it's, short? It's, 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 it's rather short. So they, they give like a little synopsis to the show. It's a kiss note, blah, blah, this blah. This is going to be interesting. This anime, and I won't say the person's name in case they don't want that read, but you know, you can find it on my anime list. Yeah. It says, this anime is like a mix of Death Note and Yamada-kun and the Seven Witches and a little bit of the world only God knows. This has got to be one of the funniest ways to represent love. But on a more serious note, this anime shows all kinds of love, whether it's forced or or with the same gender. Whether it's forced, that is not love. I'm just reading what they said. <laughs> no, I know. Forced? I'm just I'm just saying for like, the sake of like, listeners. Yeah, like forced rape, love. Like rape? Uh, also, episode two showed some serious thing about being in love. It's great. 
well, this is going to be one hell of an anime, and I really, really enjoy watching it. In other words, they didn't watch it all nope. because they... I think they watched the first two episodes and they gave it a 10. Uh, I'm expecting a lot from this one. Therefore, I, re- I therefore renamed this anime as Seiji-kun and the Four Angels, assuming the little sister is going to be an angel too, or the pink-haired Jesus. girl. That's Okay. All right. Which is why you can't go by reviews, scores yeah. on anime list because this person is Watched the first two episodes and they gave it a 10. Obviously an idiot. Hey, now. Um, I'm sorry. They described love. They they described rape as love. Okay, well, that's fair. I mean, I'm, <laughs> what, else, what other words can I nice. use? You're very confused if you think <laughs> that you know what love is. For the record, forced love is not a thing. <laughs> that is not love. Yeah, the chat's like, um, what the F? Oh, my God. Um, forced love, what? Stockholm syndrome, question mark, <laughs> rape, question mark. That person was A, drunk, or B, trolling. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. What's interesting is there are several other people who gave it a nine or an eight. Yeah. Do they all praise the show for having rape love? Um, oh, I haven't read all the other ones. Um, please but, don't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think, I think we're, we're at a point where we can score it. I think it's pretty clear. I, I feel really? like we've said. Like we didn't talk about the show. Like, does it even have, see, my problem was that it's just. I, here's my issue. This is really it for me. Bottom line. I'm busy. Okay. Okay. I work 45 hours a week in my office. He's a grown ass man. This podcast takes almost 20 hours a week and I don't have time to watch nonsense. Like this show is nonsense. I mean, you, there's literally no story and I could have skipped 80% of it and missed nothing. And so like, why, why am I going to waste four hours of my week? That is very precious. And I'm not trying to sound like a snooty person. I'm trying to sound like an adult. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, very precious. Time, four is, hours. time is precious. That's an enti- finite. That's, that's an entire evening out of what out of the week to watch a show that isn't about anything. It has no. It has no story. It it didn't even try to have a story. It's just nonsense. Frank. Fr- quite frankly, I'm just gonna. That's that's how I feel about it. And I will watch any anime from beginning to end that attempts to have a story, even if it's some simple slice of life show that's just about a girl like going to class and liking how she eats ice cream or something. But this show is about nonsense and I just don't have, I don't have the patience or the time for it. Mm. And so I I give it, and so I give it a one, um, what the hell is the show? Uh, One, um, scene about a girl's boobs out of five. I don't know. It's awful. You're getting too old for this shit. Oh, yeah. Basically is what you're trying to say, right? Where's that drop? I feel like that's where... Uh, We have so many freaking drops on this thing now, I can't find any of them. I'll let you go last, Jack, since it's your show, so you can sum it up. Um, I guess I'll wait till he hits that drop. I can't find the drop. Just keep talking. All right. Got a hundred drops on here. He's getting too old to use technology as well. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So... Yeah, uh, the show... Oh, I'm too old for this shit. Hopi, oh, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too, I'm too old for this shit. I am. I am too old. But then Actually, at the end weird. of Lethal Weapon 4, he's like, I'm not too old for this shit. That's is, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. An interesting thought. This show is... I feel like it's not for adults. And then let me finish my thought. It's too much nonsense to be for adults. Hmm. At the same time, it's too objectionable to be for anybody under 18. Hmm. So who is it for? Is it for like... For adults. I, I, I can't go men- further than that without offending everybody. Yeah, yeah I should probably like, not finish I just sentence. don't understand who this audience is for. I mean, you're not going to show a 12-year-old kid an anime that's about polyamory, rape, love, and squeezing girls' boobs while they're tied up because that's exactly what I witnessed. Mm. Um, and, and look how he turned out. Speaking of dead horses. We're beating it? Can we? Can yeah, we fine. stop? I just hate it. 
Well, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> okay. to silence him. I just him. don't know who the audience is. I think you do. Nope. But we'll leave it. Okay. You're right. <laughs> um, so yeah, the show, uh, yeah, as you said, dead horse, I don't want to beat it any further. I, I, I can I can I can understand how some people might enjoy it and that's fine. I will say though when I review shows on the podcast, I do my best to review them as objectively as possible, considering that you can't be completely objective um, with any kind of artistic medium. And and as such, I will say that this show critically had a very poor plot. The writing was very poor. The animation was somewhat Okay, I guess. No, it wasn't. I mean, I don't know. It was it was passable. No. Well, it's about average for these days. Yeah. Um and another plus is that it's only 12 episodes. So there's a that's, but that's like something. That's a more of like a joke. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um and yeah, I'm going to give this show Ooh, I am on the fence here. Uh I'm going to give it a 2. I'm going to give it to uh, two prime ministers kissing on television in the first episode out of five. And I will basically say I've I've summed up my thoughts. I Yes, objectively, I didn't find the comedy funny. But more than that, I think it lacked from fundamental issues of plotting, storytelling, characterization, and just things that make a good anime good, even if it's supposed to be a dumb comedy. So I'm going to give this 0. 0.5. Wow. wow. Holy crap. Dag, yo. So that's a, a three, two plus three, two plus one plus 0. 0.5 is 3.5 divided by, divided by three. That's 1.77778, 1. 1. which so rounds down to, to a, a one. one. Wow. That's, whew. I mean, you like that quick math? You know what it's yeah, also I was time like, for? I was just letting you to handle that because I do not math well. I think that's right. Maybe it's 1.6667. I don't know. Well, it's not math time. It's oh shit! Cut. Wow, God, you're slipping. Wow. You're slipping it's in your time old age. For an almighty anime <laughs> for mailbag. Anime, anime, anime. Mailbag, bag, bag, bag. If you want to submit a mailbag, go to aaapodcast.com and hit on the mailbag button. Mailbag. I recommend if you do hit on that mailbag button that you take her out to dinner we first. Hit that button. Yeah. All right. Tap that button. The first mailbag comes Treat that thing from Icy Rose, and I think Kazuo should read this one. Oh, okay. Um, Jackie's laying the law down as the, as the host today. I know. She's like, men, get your shit together. So my good Kiwi friend Icy Rose writes in, and he says, hello, AAA hosts. I have found a lot of shows I like more uh, for the concept rather than the story itself. Most recent example is the Fate franchise, which aside from Fate Zero, I've never really been a diehard fan of, but always watch it because I like the idea of summoning historical or mythological uh, figures to do Mortal Kombat or the ever-present trapped in a game like Fantasy World anime where I enjoy discussing uh, how I would play the game uh, the cast are trapped in. Are there any series or genres that you found to be only okay, but like it more because of either the concept or enjoy discussing the world surrounding the story. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, Eden of the East, I thought was good. That is a very clever mm. concept for sure. This having having a certain amount of money on your cell phone to use to change the world. I thought that was an interesting mm. concept. I thought that the anime ultimately dropped the ball. 
but I liked the concept. I also love the, I actually love the concept of battle Royale. I find it savage and interesting mm. and was in love with the manga from the first, from the first volume. I'd never seen that done in an anime before. And frankly, I haven't seen well, it too many times since it wasn't in an anime. You know well, what? Well, in a manga slash live action. <laughs> you know what anime I, I will say for this? Uh, Chocolate Underground. Oh, yeah. That was interesting, but also not executed well. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and, and I don't know. Maybe it was executed as, as much as it could have been. But for anyone who doesn't know, it's it's basically a prohibition style anime, but with chocolate. And, and the concept of something that we perceive as, of course, it would be, you know, legal or acceptable, but then gets restricted, I think is a cool concept. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one. I, I, nothing's really coming to mind at this point. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Next Flop question them. is from the Viva La Jady. They write, Kazuo, what is the best cat in anime? Personally, I think it happy from Fairy Tale because he can talk and fly me around. Oh, this is a fantastic question. Um, I'm going to have to go with the Cat King. Yeah. I mean, I feel, like, that, I feel like that's just the... Uh, yeah. Hey, babe. <laughs> you know what? And I'm also going to look up best cats in anime. <laughs> I, I actually like the Baron from Whisper of the Heart and the Cat and the Cat Returns. Okay. I'll pick a slightly different one. I'll go with uh, the cat from Trigun. Oh, that yeah, always makes an appearance. Oh, I also love the cat from Azumanga that can fly for some reason. Although they don't even, it's Chi, it's Chia, it's Chia's, Chia's father, even oh, though dude. it's a cat. There are so many good ones in here. There Chi, are good ones. Yeah, the, uh, the cat from uh, Chi Sweet Home. Obviously. Of course, that was too obvious. Um... Oh, oh, Madara from uh, Natsume's Book of Friends, the cat that you see all over yeah. Japan and like little uh, Sakamoto from Michijo. These are some good ones. Gigi from Kiki's Delivery. Oh, yeah, Gigi. Gigi's Luna good. and Artemis. Yes. yes. Dude, Luna was awesome. Uh, yeah, we got a few in here. There's quite, man, there's a lot of cats in anime. I didn't yeah, realize Yeah, there this. are a lot. Yeah. All right, Macy, would you like to read the next one? Yeah, sure. Go um, for it. Sun God Leto writes, hey, AAA, way back in the podcast episode 360, that was a long time. I guess it's like half Way a year. Back. Kazuo and Mitsugi and answered a mailbag I submitted regarding shows I should marathon with my niece. And I was introduced. I was introducing her to the world of anime. I had provided a list of shows we were going to watch, and Mitsugi mentioned that a lot of the shows I had listed were very recent, and that I didn't have many older shows on the list. And that got me wondering: What are some older anime that you feel newer anime fans need to watch, and why do you think so? Thanks for answering and making my addiction worse. You are very welcome. For me, it's Future Boy Conan from 1978, Miyazaki's uh, first animated, I think his first animated series, maybe not his first, but one of the oldest, freaking awesome show. Uh, it doesn't feel at all like something from 1978 and just a magical experience. Also, I would go back and watch some like older Macross and Gundam. This is kind of a, this mailbag just begs for me to launch into a rant about how people don't watch old man and man <laughs> yeah. again, but but, but we um, already had that once this show. We did that once already. So those are my answers. I would go with Ghost in the Shell and Akira. Some of the most classic um, cyberpunk and, you know, sci-fi anime out there that not only, you know, are amazing on their own, but influenced a lot of other anime and a lot of Hollywood cinema. As far as series go, I would actually say, you know, go back and watch some of the original Sailor Moon. Honestly, yeah. one, of, one of the magical girls that put magical girls on the map, especially for the West. I feel like I feel like the question it very much depends on who True. We're, we're talking to. Because I mean, like if, if if we're talking about like a young kid, then, yeah, you, the classic yeah. shonens, um, you know, like your 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 Pokemons and your Sailor Moons and your Dragon Ball Z's, um, maybe for like a little bit older than, you know, that. 
Um, but if we're talking about just like classic anime that everyone should watch, man, yeah, you guys pretty much nailed them. Cowboy Bebop was Cowboy definitely Bebop number one on the list. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Ghost in the Shell. That's a really good one too. Uh, the Miyazaki films. There you go. Yeah. If you you know what, start with that. You can't go wrong there. I feel that ties back into our main topic. There's a lot of old films people should watch. Yeah, even, but yeah, but it all depends ones. on it all depends on the person. Like I'm not gonna tell a little kid to go back and watch. Um, oh gosh, what's the one about the bombing? Almost none of our listeners oh. are little kids, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but he was asking for his niece. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. True. Well, I don't know how I don't know how old she is. Mm. Move next mailbag. Okay, the next <laughs> mailbag is from Mexican Adian. They write, greetings, AAA podcast crew. There have been a lot of times when I talk to peers and coworkers about my fondness about anime. In some cases, some of them happen to be anime fans as well. However, in many other cases, they belittle such a thing as, quote, Asian cartoons. How do you guys and gals handle such things? I'm certain you have encountered such situations as well. Thanks for the input. I think, like, I mean, so as, maybe it's just the people I'm around, but, like, most people are totally cool with anime nowadays, you know? Like the people I work with and everything like that. Like I don't get a lot of those. Uh... I usually, honestly, most of my, most of my reactions is I always test the waters. Like I wait a little bit, but then I, or, or even not wait that long, but like my testing the waters is, you know, getting to know someone, the last one I'm interested in or whatever. And I'll just be like, oh, and you know, I play a lot of video games. I watch a lot of anime. I'll, you know, I like to go out and I'm really enthusiastic about tea and I just kind of see what they glom onto. And honestly, I You're think like that's, tea. yeah. And I, and I, and I wait to see kind of what, what resonates with them, which honestly I think is how you build, you know, relationships with someone in general. You're not just like, well, I watch a bunch of anime. Let me tell you about it because I don't even know if you like anime, but like, you know, you, you have that back and forth with someone. Um, and usually the reaction is like, they'll just, if I present it in a list like that, if they're excited or enthusiastic, mm-hmm. they'll comment if they're not, then they just don't say anything and they pick something else. So I, f- I feel like everyone pretty much knows what I'm into, possibly because I'm currently wearing a Pokemon T-shirt. <laughs> also, possibly because there's a giant Squirtle plushie at my desk at work. But yeah, I, but, but like ultimately, like the people, if people that would care, I just tend not to hang around. I'm still off put by the last mailbag, but my my thought here would be that um, I usually say nothing about my fandom until I am familiar enough with the people to know that they're not going to like fly off the handle and hate me forever. And if if they did, then screw them. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, wow, time to grow. They need to. They have a lot more growing up to do than yeah, you yeah. do. Their comment to you would be like, "Oh, that's little kid shit." Well, I would say if you're still at, if you're like 25 and at the age that you still judge someone because they watch anime, then they need to go to therapy first yeah, yeah. of all. Yeah, they're the they childish one. Deep, deep-seated issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. Fair. You should feel sorry for them, probably. Actually, and find other people to be around because yeah. there sure. are a million. Jesus, someone will embrace you and love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And on that note, you can find us at aaapodcast.com forward slash join. Don't forget to create an account to get access to hentai episodes, hobby addicts, after parties, and a bunch of other stuff that adds up to like eight additional podcast episodes a month. Um, also of course, join the fun over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash AAA podcast, because 
all of everyone has great discussions there. And thank you to those of you who joined us live on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast Official, because then you get notifications whenever we go live. You'll never miss a show in the chat. Um, Let us know what you think about our deep dive and my new tea time, either in the Facebook group or tweet us at AAA Podcast on Twitter and give us your thoughts. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll join you again next week with more anime talk. See you next time. Bye-bye.